Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. Grizzle Cannabis Con. Back to back with Grizzle Psychedelics Con this morning. This is the big show. This is the doubleheader. This is what the industry comes for because we bring the heat. We bring we bring the magic. We bring the excitement. Scott, we got a lineup, man. A lineup. Oh, man. Tell them. I hope you guys are buckled up because we got, again, it's always the industry leaders, the ones pushing everything forward. We're going to ask them the questions. High level, low level, their companies, what they're building. So get ready. We're kicking it off with TerraSend. Then we're going with uh, the Can of Queen, Kim Rivers of True Leave. And actually, we were going to have Verano. They had something come up very last minute. They had to cancel. But what we're going to do is then we're jumping right into Leafly, going to talk to the CEO of Leafly. And then we have two pretty cool panels. We're excited about this. We have the future of infused beverage panel and future cannabis products panel with some industry uh, OGs there. And then we're going to kick it. We're going to end things off with uh, our good friend Mitch from Merida. He has a high level view that few can match. And so it's always good to see what he's seeing, where he's putting his money. So get ready. All right. All right. Crystal Cannabis Con kicking off with one of our favorite friends, longtime, longtime family member of, of, of Grizzle Cannabis Con, Jason Wild, chairman of TerraSend. Welcome. Welcome, Jason. Nice to see you guys. How are you? <laughs> Very good. So Jason, we got it because you're first, you get to talk about the cannabis industry, not necessarily terrorists then. lucky you. <laughs> so, you know, in my life investing, I haven't seen an industry that's really split apart like this one. So you have fundamentals, what's happening, and then you have the stock prices. They are totally divorced right now. So I want to ask you as an operator, you know, you see what's on the ground and then you also see what's happening or not happening in Washington. Is the cannabis market healthy? Uh, the cannabis market is healthy, and uh, you have to look at it. Some, it's sort of like real estate, I think. You know, where it's uh, every market is local. Uh, I think that that is uh, the case in the cannabis market, and I think that the markets that are not good are painting, you know, uh, everything in the same brush. Even the uh, companies that have operations that are in uh, that are in you know excellent markets. So, I think that has. Uh, that is that's hurt the overall perception, the lack of, uh, you know, safe banking and, and, and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, you would have thought that we would have been further along by this point and, and we're not. Uh, and I think people are starting to, you know, take the other, you know, sort of view of the glass being, uh, you know, half empty and saying, what if 280E never goes away? Uh, you know, which companies are going to be able to be sustainably profitable and cash flow positive? after you know their capex and after their uh, their 280e exposure uh and you know that is a i think that at this point i think it's uh that's more on the pessimistic view of, of you know yeah as an investor you want to hear that stuff to see yeah, if i, if I want to be buying something <laughs> exactly exactly uh and what i would say is also the things that i'm hearing more recently that are the things that i want to hear are how capex has dried up you know down over, you know, uh, I spoke to one uh, supplier uh, into the industry said CapEx projects are down like 60 to 80 percent year over year. So wow. those are uh, yeah. those are the things that especially in these markets, you know, Terrace is more focused uh, and has been, you know, over the, over the last few years in limited license uh, states where we can make money in medical. You know, we can eat while we dream. And then and then uh, once rec uh, comes, we have a three X of our business from there. So in those places, uh, I feel like this uh, 
capital markets, bear market uh, in, in uh, cannabis and you know, more recently and everything else, it's actually what's going to happen is those medical markets like Maryland and PA, if they go wrecked in the next year and a half or two years, there's actually going to be less supply that had come online, less capacity that had come online Great because point. the prior year, you know, say year and a half, uh, you know, uh, there wasn't really uh, a whole lot of money, uh, you know, around to be spent on that. So that's the uh, that's what we're starting to see more recently. Even the outdoor growers, from what I'm from what I'm uh, hearing, have uh, largely cut back uh, their uh, their plantings for this year. The ones in California uh, and even Oklahoma. It's you know in those markets that are that are tough. Uh, it's sort of like what I've heard is that even the illegal operators are having a tough time making money. Mm. Which is which is good because uh, you know you obviously uh, the legal market we're paying all our taxes and following all our all the rules they're not um, the fact that uh, that capacity it seems like it should be coming down from them as well that's a good that's a good sign for the whole industry yeah so I mean you're an operator I'm just curious how how you think about operating in, in a market like this like. Are you comfortable continuing to fund your growth with debt given uncertainties in Washington? Would you just pull back and because you underlying you can be cash flow positive. So would you do that? Like, how are you thinking about the business? Yeah, I think it's a balance. You never want to have too much debt because then you go from I've seen companies uh, go from having a couple of bad quarters uh, where if they had debt, those couple of bad quarters, like, you know, they lost the company or whatever, mm. whatever it was. So uh, I've definitely witness that and want to make sure that we uh, are not borrowing too much where we would ever feel uncomfortable if we had any, uh, any stumbles or, or delays. Um, we, as a company, we haven't done uh, really any sale leasebacks. So, so you still have that, that lever. We still have that lever, but that doesn't even mean I, I want to go do sale leasebacks. But those properties could be, uh, there are, uh, there's more availability of getting more asset-based uh, backed loans, like almost like a mortgage or a set or, or, you know, in the US, a home equity line against uh, a facility that you, that you already own. Uh, I think we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of opportunities uh, there. We have a lot of opportunities. We, you know, most of these cannabis companies, the ones that didn't sell everything through sale leasebacks, like uh, the real estate market, as everybody knows, has has gone up and it's still even, you know, still holding up pretty well. So, uh, you know, I'll give our, our Canadian facility as an example. We uh, uh, a year ago or two years ago, that was valued at uh, 12 million dollars. And we had, I think, a, a seven million dollar mortgage against it. Uh, we just got a, a new appraisal done and it's valued at 21 million dollars. Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies are, are, are pretty, uh, you know, uh, real estate rich, just because it was easier if you owned your property and you couldn't get a mortgage and all, yeah. and all of that. Uh, I think for us, there's an opportunity to, to unlock value in, you know, multiple different ways since we have so much, uh, you know, uh, equity in, in, in a lot of these properties. It could be, it could be selling it uh, and moving to a different place. It could be, uh, you right. know, uh, doing a, a sale lease back or, or in, in the case in Canada, increasing the size of our mortgage, which is like, I think we pay, I don't know, eight or so percent. Uh, so we've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of options. I'm also not completely against, uh, and this wouldn't be to, uh, uh, to find CapEx say, uh, per se, but uh, I'm not completely against, there are so many mom and pop private assets that are out there where you can buy them uh, at, you know, such a low multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that it would still be, it's still very accretive uh, to our, uh, you know, uh, to our company to, in, terms of, uh, uh, in terms of diluting ourselves with those shares. So I'm not totally, uh, if I could buy something at, you know, two times, uh, two times uh, pro forma EBITDA, uh, I'm not afraid to use equity for that uh, either. And that helps, Jason, that's obviously balance, that helps your balance sheet. Jason, is that the play, like, is, is that the, um, is that the play right now in the, in the smart, right now, where if you want to be opportunistic, that is, you know, an aggressive, um, you know, against the grain move here where others are, are you know, re, there's clear retrenching and, you, you know, you're not going to see volumes come through and you guys can play that, uh, you know, you, you've already done gauge, you know, which, which we, obviously we liked a lot. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think we're, we're yet to see just just the real opportunity on like that's still early days there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're rolling out. Uh, we put out a press release a few days ago. We're rolling out cookies and Gage uh, branded flour and uh, vapes in New Jersey uh, uh, oh, this Saturday. So fantastic. Gage uh, Gage is being rolled out in Jersey uh, imminently, uh, and we're going to have uh, more form factors that we're going to be rolling out and more strains. Uh, you know, we'll be launching all their genetics and uh, you know, and all the cookies genetics in uh, in Jersey, yeah. uh, and then uh, Gage will be uh, following in the next month or so. We'll be rolling out. In, uh, in PA uh, and some other places as well. So we're definitely uh, uh, gonna be uh, making more of a splash in terms of rolling, uh, rolling out some of our Michigan brands elsewhere. But in terms of acquisition opportunities and opportunistic opportunities, that is, that, that's it. Like we have been like still, you know, we say that uh, we have our uh, BD call uh, uh, every week. And yesterday we were talking about it, you know, BD and M&A for Terrasen. And it's, we cannot have any, you know, FOMO here. There is yeah. none of the, it's not like, uh, this is the opposite of two years ago. There's practically, uh, you know, no competition for a lot of these assets, especially for us, because we haven't, uh, you know, uh, we're not in Massachusetts and a lot of these other East Coast states where you have, where you have the limits, like we're the only buyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I think that uh, because we have a wide open map and because we can be the most opportunistic, I feel like we're going to be able to buy something for like, you know, two or three times run rate uh, EBITDA. But, you know, that's not enough now based upon the new reality of, you know, how the market is uh, treating all these companies. You need to also know that this is going to be a sustainable business post uh, CapEx and 280E over time. Uh, And those are really, uh, Mm. you know, it's just because, you know, you could buy something for three times, you know, run rate, but it could end up being, you know, 10 times if the business is not in good shape, they weren't yeah. doing the right stuff. They were, you know, yeah. so it's, uh, it is, uh, they're, we're still looking at them, uh, you know, very, very selectively. Uh, but we feel like the longer and longer we wait, the more these, uh, we're, they're going to get to the price. They're not there right now. They're going to get to the price where it's like, we're crazy if we don't do it, yeah. you know? Now you talked about brands. I want to ask you because Terrasen has been one of the most aggressive, I'd say a multi-state operator when it comes to leveraging partnerships do you think is the future of brands is it partnerships with brands or is it in-house like or is it a mix like what are you thinking at this point it looks like yeah it's i think it's a mix i think we learned from the cookies uh from from actually the michigan uh relationship uh with cookies that when you carry uh, a pro, you know i i think that it's definitely the most well-known uh respected cannabis brand uh uh in the country when you have a product like that in your stores then people drive, you know, will drive from further away to go there. It's, it's, uh, it's not about convenience, you know, lots of stores do well because they're on the side of a, of a highway, 
Yeah. Uh, but then there's other stores that people come from further away uh, to get there because there's something different. And that's what uh, Cookies uh, is. Uh, and it draws the uh, it draws the people that we uh, want to appeal to, which are the people that are a higher, you know, a higher end connoisseurs uh, usually uh, consume larger volumes of, uh, of product uh, and, you know, buy more stuff from you over the course of uh, over a week or or a month. So that's what we want to do with cookies uh, in our stores everywhere. A, we think what we, you know, we have a uh, good deal with the com- with cookies and we can have a good profitable business uh, growing and selling uh, their genetics. Uh, but we also think that it, it adds a little bit of a, a halo effect to the rest of our, uh, our brands. And if we want to, you know, our, uh, our brand in Pennsylvania and New Jersey uh, that we launched with is, uh, is Kind Tree. And it's been doing, you know, in Jersey, like I, th- I think uh, if you, you know, look at all the Reddit reviews and all that, I think it's considered like in the, you know, amongst the top two out of, out of all of the uh, flower brands uh, uh, in the state. But, you know, nobody knows Kind Tree. So if we get them to come in and they buy uh, and they and they buy cookies, and you know most of them are going to know that also it was uh, you know grown in the same place by the same people, uh, and you know uh, very often they'll uh, fill their basket with some other products as well. If we can get them, to that's what I was going to ask you. Product, so there is some synergies there. Totally, totally. Okay. I think it, okay. it definitely adds a halo effect to the brand, and it and it brings in more people to try our other brands. And you know that's uh, that's uh, that's 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 the approach. We would love to have, you know, other brands that we develop that become yeah, huge brands. I think so much of it is based upon quality. So, and, and we're definitely, you know, uh, highly focused on that. Um, but if there are other brands that we know are going to bring people in the store and that consumers want, then we want to have them. Like, you know, I look at it as uh, where, uh, you know, I, I wear like a pharmacist, my pharmacist hat for like looking at other businesses and looking at analogies, but it's like right now we're like, Merck and uh, Pfizer, and we're also like CVS and Walgreens. Well, if, if we're like CVS and Walgreens in terms of our dispensaries, then I want to carry all the products that consumers want the most. I don't want to, I don't want to only carry the stuff that is, or I think it's short term to only carry the stuff that we can make the most money on. Yeah. We should be looking first at what customers want because that's going to build the, the most successful retail. You know, yeah. I got, I got a comment here. I'll, I'll relay. I love Terrison brand. Kind tree products and packaging. Uh, I'm a medical patient in PA. So there's a- That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Jason, to wrap things up, you know, if you look at Terrasend, there are a lot of moving parts for you guys. Can you help investors anticipate what improvements are happening in quarter two, three, four? You know, New Jersey's now open, no vape recall. Like what should should they expect? Yes. So New Jersey is uh, New Jersey's open. That opened uh, like a third of the way through the uh, through the quarter. So we'll see a nice, you know, sequential uh, uh, revenue growth and, and profitability growth. Uh, Jersey, all you're going to see though is a, is a couple of uh, a couple of months. So that's really going to progress uh, even uh, more so into Q3 and Q4 because we think that business is going to be a lot a lot bigger. We're going to be opening Lodi, which we think is going to be our top store in the country. You know, ability to do. You know, we think uh, based upon our other stores, you know, over $50 million in, in revenue uh, run rate pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, so, and we also have the wholesale opportunity uh, in Jersey. So that's going to be a huge driver of profitability uh, and, uh, and revenue. Uh, Pennsylvania, we don't have the, uh, the vape, uh, yeah, that vape ban uh, from the P- Pennsylvania DOH. They actually reversed it uh, a few weeks ago anyway. Uh, but it's sort of, it's not as important as it was because 
we've been able to convert the majority of our customers over to our new, you know, what the PA, what the DOH considered uh, compliant. So we've got uh, growth there versus Q1 and growth in overall uh, flower sales. We're launching, we had told people about PA when we made the big change last summer that quality was gonna get, you know, a million times better, uh, but that then we were gonna get new strains in towards uh, in December. Uh, or we, we, were gonna, it was gonna, we were gonna be limited by not having new genetics until they opened up the window. They opened it up in December uh, and we're launching all of those uh, strains now and they are being received really, really uh, well. So that's PA uh, and, you know, and PA hopefully rec, you know, I don't know, hopefully second half of next year. Um, and uh, Maryland uh, gonna be on the ballot uh, this, uh, this uh, November. Uh, even more likely uh, goes rec, uh, you know, second half of next year, we're building out our facility that, there to uh, expand and to be fully ready for that. Um, Michigan continue to grow through potential uh, acquisitions, store openings, uh, margins getting much better as we bring in uh, extraction uh, in-house and manufacturing. That all just came online in the last, uh, in the last uh, few weeks. So we'll see some of that in uh, Q2. Uh, the rest of, you know, much more so uh, the impact from that in Q3 and Q4. Uh, and uh, overall, you know, overall as a company, as I look at us com compared to, you know, uh, all the other competitors in the space, I think that uh, what we have going for us is that we've got such a young sort of set of assets relative to maturity. If you consider REC uh, being more mature, and it doesn't mean REC when, uh, you know, when we get out of what seems, feels like a recession, uh, and some things change, it doesn't mean that REC won't uh, pick up to a normal you know, rate of growth. We think it will, but we are uh, protected by the fact that we, the majority of our business over the next couple of years is gonna be from brand new REC states. And we think we're gonna be one of the top three operators uh, in, you know, in all three of those states. So, Wow, that was an amazing rundown. Thank you, that was thorough. All right, so Jason, thank you so much for being here. We're always lucky when you stop by with your insights and, and we're excited to watch what's gonna happen with Terrace over the next you know, nine months of this year. And guys, uh, if you are watching on Twitter, we'd really appreciate a lot of time, effort and energy to bring on some of these great guests. Give it, give it the retweet, give it the like. Uh, same for uh, YouTube, hit that like. And also if you guys are, uh, have questions, uh, Twitter's really mucked around with the, the, the format of lives there where it's not easy to catch questions there. Uh, you can go to YouTube way easier to catch questions. Uh, Morgan's been, uh, been hitting hard with uh, great questions. Uh, sounds like Jason, we'll have to bring you back onto a Twitter spaces and a, an abridged longer version. We'll have you back. Always good. Fun. Is there yeah, a thanks, Jason. Spot that's open? You want me to come back in, uh, in that <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is, there is. Yeah. <laughs> Just pop back in the need. Zooms. Slide yeah, into the go. Zooms. <laughs> Bye, guys. See you later, Jason. Thank you. All right. Welcome back to Grizzle Cannabis Con. And it's not a Grizzle Cannabis Con unless we have the queen of cannabis herself, Kim Rivers. True leave. Kim, how are you? I'm great, guys. How are you? Thanks so much Very for having good. me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kim, you're lucky you didn't go first. So, we don't have to talk about industry stuff. We can just talk about True Leave stuff. <laughs> awesome. So, I wanted to start with an interesting question. I've been trying to get my head around this how you guys think of wholesale versus retail. Like, how do you decide when I'm going to ramp up wholesale? This is the market is right for that. Or I'm going to lean on retail. Like, 
from an operator's point of view, take an investor into your, your thought process? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, we are, um, you know, happy that we have the largest uh, scaled retail presence in the U.S. We have 168 current operating uh, retail locations across the U.S., um, but we have also been focusing on branded products. And uh, certainly since Harvest, uh, you know, developing our suite of branded products. And, you know, we talk a lot internally uh, and currently as part of our strategic plan for this year and, and likely going into next year is this concept and notion of branded product through branded retail. And so we love to control and to have influence over the entire customer journey. Um, we believe that that certainly um, starts with uh, most customers, 80% of customers find us um, online and through a mobile device. And um, actually fun fact, we had over 100 million uh, hits on our website um, in the first quarter of this year. So, uh, you know, very robust platform there. And so we really are focused on the customer journey and whether or not that's again coming into through our retail uh, channels and branded product through branded retail, or if it's through our branded product through our wholesale business. And um, we certainly have led with retail. Um, we're very comfortable in the retail space and think that there's significant runway left um, within the cannabis markets and certainly in developing cannabis markets as we think about going into markets like Georgia, certainly in West Virginia, what we're experiencing um, to really have stickiness of consumer loyalty through that branded product with branded retail. Now, as we all know, the cannabis industry is interesting in the fact that there's different regulatory requirements market to market. And oftentimes, you know, you may be capped in terms of the amount of retail presence you can actually achieve. For us, it's all about penetrating and achieving scale and depth in a market. And so we like to have tools in our toolbox to be able to accomplish that ultimate goal. And so while we certainly prefer to lead with branded product through branded retail, we absolutely will diversify with a wholesale strategy to support, again, that market penetration and markets where that's where that's a requirement and where that's necessary. And um, I'm very, very excited about the work that we're doing in the brand um, in the brand space. Um, I'm very excited about our catalog um, of, of brands that we have to offer, again, on a combined basis. We've been spending a lot of time um, refining and developing and making sure that we're speaking to consumers in each one of those in each one of those tiered segments. And that also, as we're looking at retail shelves, not only ours, but quite frankly, our dispensary partners that were thoughtful in terms of how and where our products will be placed and how they will resonate with particular segments in consumer need states um, across um, across categories. So uh, lots of exciting um, work that we've been doing and uh, that we'll continue to do. But I mean, I think that, again, we um, like to lean into and believe that this is an optimal time to lean into. Again, really having that significant and reciprocal relationship with that customer, which we like to we like to have as much um, influence over that journey as possible. So branded branded product through branded retail. So I, I have a second part to that. Just talking yeah. on the retail, what does the future of brands look like for you? Would you ultimately want a True Leaf store to be like the Trader Joe's of cannabis, where it's True Leaf products only, or do you think there's a, a mix is ultimately where it goes of, of partnerships and in-house? Sure. So, I mean, I think what we've demonstrated, right, is a house of brand strategy, certainly. So we will have our portfolio of products. Um, you know, of course, even today, we have brand partnerships um, across different uh, subcategories and that are both regional, uh, sometimes actually even local, and then also national. And so we definitely think that, um, again, it, it really, we're, we're customer obsessed. And so it's really what the customer wants and what the customer expects and giving them the best experience, which we think is a mix of our own house of brands coupled with um, curated 
uh, partner brands that, again, speak to those specific requirements and needs of that customer in that market. And I can't stress that enough. I mean, it's something that we really, again, um, think about a lot. Um, every store, every location is not created equal by any means. And um, understanding and being able to drill down to the demographics and the requirements and the preferences of that particular customer base, which, by the way, is also evolving um, as more and more folks find cannabis or in a market that perhaps is you know going recreational from medical so it that's constant work that's not a set it and forget it and um, which informs um, our brand mix our product mix that are on those shelves as well as the partners that we carry again among those um, particular um, you know categories in in those in those in those stores as well but um if you lose sight of that and you think that it's a one-size-fits-all I think that it's uh you've, you've unfortunately I think lost touch with the customer which, which again is something that we're um, we're very very focused on. So it sounds like you're in a unique position because you have such a big retail presence. Yeah. But it sounds like this still isn't the stage of cannabis. There's a lot of testing. You just need to figure out exactly what the customer wants. What they want is always changing, and so that's kind of sounds like what you're doing. Yeah, and I think also you know leaning into data and technology to help us to help us further understand and to help us refine and make sure that we are continuing um, to learn um, about customer behavior. You know, it's very different if you have a suite of three stores, four stores, six stores, even 10, yeah. 20 stores, right? Um, to really understand and, and feel very connected to that to that customer. As you scale, as you get bigger, um, we have to implement technology solutions to make sure that we still are actively listening. And we have a ton of feedback loop solutions within TrueLeave, some organic that have been with us since the very beginning, i.e. making sure that we're actually in touch with our, our bud tenders, our frontline folks, giving them a platform to provide feedback real time so that we understand what they're hearing. Of course, our frictionless return policy which still represents less than 1% of, um, of products across across um, the market. Uh, but that gives us feedback, right? What's not working? Yeah, Why yeah, would yeah, someone yeah. bring something back? Um, and then also overlaying data um, on top of that to, again, A-B test messaging, understand what's driving consumer behavior, understanding why and what speaks to um, uh, you know the one percent of concentrate uh, users in a certain demographic and you know in eastern pennsylvania as an example right um, and is that different than western pennsylvania and um, concentrate users and so again digging into those layers and having the sophistication and making the investment now so that we're continuing and by the way there's an ai feature to that as well so that we're yeah. continuing to mine that data and continuing to refine right product right right uh, location right form factor right price so Kim, I have a question, just, you know, just learnings from more mature markets, uh, yeah. say of Florida, how did you, you know, talking about the data and just the evolution, obviously consumers themselves are evolving within your states. Just yeah. how do you take those learnings and then, uh, you know, allow yourself to leapfrog into your new jurisdictions uh, as opposed to, as opposed to having to, you know, try to figure it all out again, or, or are the regions so different that, different things work in different areas. So we certainly can analogize, right? I mean, and so we certainly can take um, certain markets and certain, again, you know, have a very large database and a very large, um, large you know, base of information and customer data and segment out, right? And what are the common threads? Um, can we make, um, and, and then it's, again, it's a lot of A-B testing, right? So, okay, we think our hypothesis is that this region and this region are similar um, for these reasons, right? And maybe it's the, the, the spending range, maybe it's the particular, maybe it's the military makeup, maybe it's, you know, whatever it is, um, right? And so we're gonna then run 
write an A-B test to, to see, okay, is that actually true? Is that false? Um, how are they different? How are they the same? And then again, to your point, then we can kind of deploy once we understand those similarities or those differences. I would also note that a, another really, um, I think, critical differentiator for us is our ability to innovate and uh, roll out product um, and again, test that over a large, um, really in a scaled way um, and get data back very quickly in terms of how product, how products and how new products are resonating with customers prior to um, a national launch. And uh, we started uh, working in that vein as well, which is really exciting. Um, and I, so I think our, um, our understanding of customer response to new products, as well as our ability to get it right and then launch it nationally is is um, is, uh, is another another differentiator that I'm really excited about. So with with your kind of unparalleled level of data, this is a good question I'd, I'd like to ask you: Is what is a product format you're most excited about? Is it still Flower? And is there an emerging format you think that isn't very popular yet or not on the radar that people should care more about or, or watch for? So I'm always excited about flower because I'm a flower person. <laughs> so um, like personally, I am I'm I'm always excited about flower, and um, you know there continues to be really interesting um, genetic uh, you know genetic advancements and whatnot on the flower side. We have a full blown tissue culture lab, and I, so I am I am I remain excited about what we're able to do um, on the flower side. And um, we you know and consumers. Today, continue to be excited as well. Absolutely. I mean, we just yeah. yesterday um, toured a group of analysts through our brand new 750,000 square foot site here in Florida. Um, high level of automation um, increases actually um, human our human connection with the plant by making it more efficient in terms of how we're able to bring um, the plants actually to our workers. And so it's really, uh, there's some exciting things happening there. That being said, I would say from a category perspective, I'm really excited and interested in the minor cannabinoid space. I think that there, I can see a shift ultimately in um, really, again, focusing on need states and focusing on effects, um, particularly as new for new entrants and folks that aren't as familiar um, with the cannabis space. And I think minor cannabinoid um, isolation and really um, bringing that in a scaled way um, to the market, I think has a lot of interest and, and appeal. Certainly we've seen huge um, uptake in our CBN formulations and are working on some other uh, minor cannabinoid formulations as well. I would say to answer your second question, um, in terms of where I think and, and what I think is coming, you know, there's been a lot of hype around the beverage space. I think we've talked about the fact that beverages are great, but it's, you know, the distribution is just off right now. Um, you know, I think that that's a big hit when it's an alternative and it's sitting next to the beer section in your local supermarket. I think it's hard when it's in a dispensary. So um, we've been developing um, a powder formulation that's a grab and go packet, think Crystal Light, um, that fizzes, et cetera, um, that you can throw in your, your purse or your pocket um, on the way out the door. Um, that's a microdose. And I'm very excited about that as a bridge product between now and when we get to the place where, again, distribution becomes more of a, um, of a reality for a true uh, pre, you know, pre-mixed beverage. How far away are we from those minor cannabinoids really picking up based on the, like the technology you're seeing to synthesize them? Yeah, I mean, I think the technology is there. Um, I think right now we're in the um, genetic discovery phase. So it really starts with the plant, right? Everything that we do starts with the plant. So, you know, making sure that we have a curated genetic library that has um, those elements and those particular cannabinoids expressed in greater quantities so that we can then, um, you know, more efficiently extract. I think that's been the challenge um, to date um, with some of those products is just how to, um, again, at scale, right? Yes, you can do it in a craft way, but we're always looking for, is there a way to 
to ramp this up and what's that what's that look like uh so you know i think again we've um we've had great success with um with cbn and so now it's a matter of dialing that in it's this it's similar technology um for the others so uh it's just a matter of getting that um getting the kind of the front of the pipeline um ramped up interesting okay mm -hmm. now i just wanted to ask you a, a question on the financial side so given the uncertainties in Washington, and you know, we really don't know the timeline at this point that we're hopeful for different things to come down the pipe, are you comfortable continuing to fund growth with debt from where it truly sits now? How do you think about funding? Yeah, so I mean, I think the the positive the positive news is right, like we have a strong balance sheet and we've and we are cash flow positive from operations. So we are going to continue just like we always have to fund, um, you know, organic growth through um, through what's what's there today and um, have publicly stated and we'll reiterate that we have enough cash on hand to certainly uh, get us past, um, you know, this year's growth plan and growth trajectory and to be able to meet our guidance and, and what we've and what we've said. Um, so I feel very good and comfortable. And I've always said, listen, um, I love the high growth and I love this this industry and I love being in my role, but um, I, I'm not a CEO that wants to, you know, have, lay awake at night wondering how to keep the lights on. So we, we will never put Trulieve in that position. And that's been, you know, part of our commitment to, um, you know, financial discipline from the very beginning. Uh, so that remains true. Um, as it relates to other debt, it all depends, right? I mean, what's the rate? What's the term? What are we, you know, what are our plans to, to do with that debt? Um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, again, I'm very comfortable in our position um, as, a, you know, having, I, I believe, some of the leading financial uh, financials in the industry and our ability to have access to capital when others may not. So I do think that there's going to be some opportunity here ahead as the, the waters continue to get a bit choppy um, for others. And while it's sometimes difficult as a shareholder, I'm, you know, the largest shareholder of TrueLeave too, yeah. um, and in the industry, um, I think that really it's exciting for us and we're really pumped up about where we sit vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the industry and the opportunities that we um, believe that will be, um, you know, best positioned to take advantage of that are, that are ahead. I, maybe a point there, but, you know, if really in these downturns, obviously tough it's a tough, it's tough for all investors, everyone, but to be a leader, it, that is one of the real, you know, that's one of the benefits of a downturn where it really washes out some of the marginal players. I, I know Jason yep. talked about it in terms of, you know, we're seeing a pullback and growing, et cetera, but you kind of need to see this kind of wash out once in a while. And I think the last 10 years, just given just the amount of, you know, just how easy it was to get money, uh, you know, perhaps this is one of the best things to happen to the industry. I actually couldn't agree couldn't agree more. Again, as as you know, as as hard as that is, and look, we always want everyone to, you know, be successful, and um, and I think that will still happen, right? And um, I think it's just a matter of what your time horizon is on that. And um, you know, when we when we kind of zoom out and we look at, um, how truly has you know positioned ourselves, um, in in you know sort of a similar. Uh, completely similar from a macro perspective, but similar um, activity if we look at, you know, late 19, early 20, right? Um, and really the decisions that we made, um, our ability to be, again, very um, strategy driven and strategy led and committed to, to our strategic plan um, and looking for, again, those opportunities that um, that meet our stated goals and that we, um, we understand and that we feel comfortable uh, with in terms of our ability to quickly integrate and incorporate and then leverage and and again, kind of catapult um, ourselves as a, as a company, uh, you know, forward. So I think for me, again, our, our team and, and myself and our board, um, we actually do view this as, as, a, as a positive and potentially actually as a catalyst um, for TrueLeave um, into the future. Yeah, so I just wrote one last one for me is, uh, do you still think the future for you is to 
it, there's value to uh, expanding your geography into legalization, whatever that comes. Do you still have that feeling? I mean, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think again, we've, um, you know, we're a company that we we lay out a strategic plan and we do what we say we're going to do. We constantly evaluate um, the inputs to make sure that we're continuing, we're continuing to be comfortable on that path. But, um, you know, right now we are, we continue to be very, very comfortable in our regional hub strategy that we've communicated, um, you know, I think repeatedly to the market. Um, I think that we see um, certainly opportunities and because of that commitment, we now have built out teams that are, um, are robust and that we're, we're you know, I'm very proud of in each of those hubs um, that have capacity and will have capacity to bring on additional additional states, additional markets, additional tuck-ins, what have you um, underneath them, which is the entire, you know, one of the reasons that we, we organize that way. And so um, it allows us to execute faster. It allows us to execute more efficiently um, in this growing, in this growing platform. Um, you know, that being said, I will also mention that we're very, very comfortable with organic growth. Um, I think we have a you know a proven track record of uh, of success in the organic growth channel, um, and we're also very comfortable and very excited, quite frankly, about some licensing opportunities that are coming up. So uh, for us, it's not um, a one size fits all. We don't just grow in a one particular you know way. Um, we're we're very very comfortable in in all of those things simultaneously. I mean, we executed we closed seven M and A deals last year. We won two licenses, um, and then you can look at our organic growth in terms of how much capacity and how many stores, retail stores we opened um, organically across our markets. And, um, you know, I think it was almost a million square feet. I mean, so it's just, it's, we're, we're, we're comfortable in all of those, in all of those um, arenas and expect to continue to be very active in each of those. Great. Well, Kim, thank you always for coming on and giving us your insights. And, you know, it's been rewarding for us, I'm sure for you to see where you've come when we first met in 2018 yes. to where true leave is now it's, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty incredible i know no, you, no. Well, you and, must yeah. yourself yeah and no and that tweet was so kind of you last uh, you know for our last uh uh Scott. it was just like memories yeah, yeah you know what it's it, it but it's incredible to see the growth obviously grizzle and you know truly <laughs> ultra and uh well we can't wait for the next one uh to keep following the growth uh thank you kim yeah, thank um you. Thank you guys. And, a message for everyone out there watching on YouTube. There's a ton of people on YouTube. Kim's bringing the heat. Grizzle setting up the heat. Give it, give it the we thumbs up. up. Give it the thumbs up. There's a ton of you. There's only a few of those thumbs up. And if you're on Twitter, Twitter fam knows what's going on. The retweet, the likes. Everyone, thank you very much. We'll be back. A little bit of a break, Scott. Yeah, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with Leafly. So thank you to Kim. Thanks, y'all. All right, welcome back to Grizzle Cannabis Con, the one, the only, the best in the industry. Guys, thank you so much for those thumbs ups, the likes. We got a good one it here. It powers us up. We're, we're going hard all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited about our next guest. You know, you, you've heard if you've tuned into Cannabis Cons before, there's a lot of talk about the plant. But now we have a company where the plant really comes second to data, which is what they're all about. And so we have the CEO, Yoko Miyashita of Leafly. Yoko, welcome to the program. Hey, so great to be here with you guys. Great, great. to have you. So let's start it off where I think Leafly is unique among our presenters today because you're a data first company and a cannabis company second. So for people not familiar with Leafly, can you give our viewers a quick rundown of kind of how, what's a typical customer interaction with Leafly? Yeah, so excited to tell you about Leafly. We're NASDAQ traded LFLY non plant touching cannabis technology 
an information company. Important, so important point there. I gotta, I gotta emphasize that, guys. So you know, there's so much buzz around. Okay, not nice listing. Nice. They are, they are listed. They are listed. <laughs> they're, they're yes. US. Yeah, we don't need to talk about Washington yeah. and U.S. Yeah, listing. Yeah, yeah. We're done with that. Let's move along. We are U.S. listed, publicly traded, and I will just add, ring the bell on 420 with a big billboard. Oh, wow. yeah, big one. Right. Well, well played. Well played. <laughs> But we're, you know, we're a content-driven marketplace. What does that mean? We've been helping consumers navigate their cannabis journey with unique educational and information content. Then we match them to legal brands and retailers that carry the products they want. We talked about data. Where does this start? We have been publishing on the planet for over 12 years, and we are known worldwide for our strains database. Let's break that down. We talk about the plant. We have over 6,000 entries in our strains database. We talk about this database, what is it? We break down the strains, we tell you chemical composition, and more importantly, we, we give you the data that's both lab sourced, you know, from testing from state labs, as well as, object, as subjective data from our consumers who tell us how a strain made them feel. We have over 1.3 million consumer reviews. Why is that important? Because people who talk about the plant, people who truly understand this plant know that underlying complexity and what we consider the magic of that. But who can break it down for consumers? No one else can do it like we can. We've got over 11,000 news and information articles and we have search and transactional data. What is that? That's first party data captured at top of funnel as consumers are embarking on their cannabis journeys. What does that mean? They're coming to us to answer their questions. And in that process, we learn about their shopping habits, what they're interested in, and we understand that at a local market level. Just think about that for a second in terms of the broad applicability of that data. We use it to power our platform. We use it to help consumers make smarter decisions about cannabis, but there's a lot of downstream that you can do from there. And one other thing I'll say about that is this content first approach, it allows us to build consumer demand on the platform even before markets legalize. Mm-hmm. If you're plant touching, you got to wait for that trigger. You got to wait for that legalization moment to start, right? But for us, because this is information and education, we are aggregating consumers way before markets legalize. Yeah. So legalization isn't slowing. The lack of legalization isn't slowing you down. And you're already connecting consumers with brands and dispensaries, right? So on that point, I'm wondering, does legalization open up any doors for you? Um, What most people talk about is the be all end all. Right. For us, we're not dependent on it. It's additive for our business, right? right? So we grow and scale today. There's a ton of interest and activity in cannabis that's already being monetized on our platform. And we look at each of those incremental legalization moments as, yeah, that's great. It's great for the industry. It's great for consumers. But for us, we are already growing and scaling and monetizing that interest. Gotcha. Now, can you talk a little bit about uh, what are you focused on building over the next year, Leafly? Next year and building is like, and this is where we're rooted. Our mission is delivering value. And this is where it gets interesting, right? And kind of complex. We're serving consumers. We're serving retailers. We're serving brands. So it's all about executing against roadmap initiatives to deliver that value. On the consumer side, we're meeting them where they're shopping. What does that mean? Consumers shop depending on the state in different ways. I'm in Washington state. We can do pickup, order online, pickup in store. There's no delivery here. 
But in California, how do consumers want to get their weed? They want delivery. So we launched a delivery gateway just this past quarter. What does that mean? When you shop for delivery, you got different parameters, right? You got to enter your address. You want to know if there's a fee. You want to know if there's a minimum basket size. So we launched a new gateway for delivery shoppers to shop in the way they want. And for us, it's also, I mentioned earlier about that content and that IP. How do you really drive really awesome personalized experiences? I'm going to point you to our strains page where you can take a strains quiz right now in terms of finding the right strains for your needs and matching you to that. Data allows you to do that. On the retailer side, you know, you're showing this slide here. We've done a phenomenal job of aggregating retailers on our platform. And that's primarily through inbound leads. What does that mean? Not external marketing spend, but retailers know that consumers are on the Leafly platform. They're engaged, they're learning about it. They wanna get in front of them. So we're very focused on building out that retailer network on a market by market basis, and then making it easy for those retailers to track customers on our platform. So that means reducing friction. What does reducing friction look like in the technology space? What do you need to do to, to really leverage consumer activity on our platform? You gotta get a menu posted so consumers can order. How do you get a menu posted? We're gonna do the heavy lifting for you and integrate with POS providers. That just means- Interesting, so, so, so if I understand, maybe I can just step back. So is that that idea that Okay, I'm looking. You know, someone comes onto the Leafly platform, and they can ultimately order right through to the dispensary. Yes. Oh, I should have even broken that even further. Yeah. So it's it's well, not like I'm, one here. I, like I'm not popping to their website. Like I can do it all you are seamlessly. Placing that order on Leafly, you're not paying oh, on Leafly. You are wow. picking up. But think about how sticky that is. My goal in serving consumers is helping you figure out your strains, helping out you figure out your products. And think about this. This is still a choppy supply chain, right? Yeah, I think yeah, about yeah. my favorite products I buy in my favorite dispensary. Sometimes it's not there two weeks later when I go back. So that pulling that consumer experience all the way through and helping them locate what they want at the store nearest them, that's high value to consumers. In turn, that's really sticky for retailers. That's tremendous value you can show them when you bring a shopper through their doors through an actual order that they've placed on our platform. Now, I'm curious, when you look at desktop versus mobile for you guys, is desktop bigger right now, but you anticipate mobile being bigger? Like, oh, what's the, what's mobile. Yeah, yeah and let's forget that around. It's mobile web, but where we also get super excited on the consumer side, native app experience. Yeah, but yeah. Is, that, is that something that you've always had or is it new growing or how, you know, we like always had the native app and it's almost and it's actually a, an award winning cannabis app several years ago, which might as well be a lifetime in cannabis. Use. <laughs> yeah. But it's so clear to us in the data and how our app users transact that they love ordering. And so we now have both pickup and delivery in states where delivery is available through our app. But think yeah. also about what does the native app allow you to do? You know, I don't know if this is probably um, you, you talked about, but it's really hard to advertise on digital platforms, right? Not permitted. And so you've got really constrained channels in how you can market. Same yeah, thing for yeah, us yeah. as a cannabis company. But when you can get a consumer to download our app, 
what they want to do, how you can market to them through push notifications, the deals you can get out to them. We see such great engagement there. So for us, as we're thinking about the year ahead, doubling down on that app experience because the retention is so great. The activity is so great. They're really our power users and we want to keep them really highly entertained and engaged and rewarded for being on our app. So maybe I feel like that's a great place to wrap up. So one of your initiatives is to um, make the app just that much better for consumers. If you had to rank the rest of your initiatives, I'll, I'll list out some things. Maybe you can like rank them for me. So you have user traffic, more relevant search results, more exhaustive results, more dispensary partners. Like how do you prior, what, what would be top oh, of the list? One more I'm going to add, brand yeah. partners. Why do we get brand excited partners. about brand partners? You just showed about 5,400 retailers on our platform, over 50% market penetration across all retailers. Brands, right? Brands is almost by our measure, 18,000 TAM, almost double that of retailers. Why? Because we can go with the infused brands. We can work with other cannabinoid providers, your Delta 8s, your Delta O's, and then you've got your ancillary services and products. We have now built a product suite on the brand side, traditionally a digital advertising product that looks a lot like our retailer product. Brand listing in the form of recurring revenue subscription and premium advertising units. What does that look like? That's retailer ad network. Allowing that brand to advertise at the bottom of the funnel as consumers making a product decision. We talked about personalization. We talked about helping consumers find the right product. Now imagine the ability for a brand to advertise the product that we have helped consumers identify as the one that's right for them. And a brand can then advertise and say, hey, I've got your strain. I've got a pre-roll in your strain. I've got a, um, you know, I've got a concentrate in your strain. And that's super exciting because that allows us in the same digital real estate to both monetize the retailer or monetize the brand and on the brand side, much larger opportunity. So we've now got the right technology and product suite to go after both the retailer and brand side of this space. Wow. Exciting. So Yoko, this has been eye-opening for us because we spent so much time in the plant touching and you guys came on our radar you know, relatively recently. So we've been digging in. So thank you so much for giving us your insight. I mean, everyone else should should take a look. And I think we're going to have to bring you back to talk more about Leafly. Would love to join you. Be great. Yoko, thank you so right, much. That was Yoko Miyashita, CEO of Leafly. Guys, stay tuned. We got a ton more coming. Grizzle Cannabis Con. It was followed by Grizzle Psychedelics Con. If you missed that, go check that out. We got a great panel right now. Guys, we're always bringing the heat listing. If you're on YouTube, um, those are, I know people out there are saying, listen, they're loving the back-to-back psychedelics, cannabis. Show some love. Show the thumbs up on Twitter if you're watching the retweets. We appreciate all of that. Scott, we got a panel, man. We got oh, a panel. Man, this is the panel near and dear <laughs> to my heart. So if you guys have been following Grizzle, you know that I'm a drink-infused beverage connoisseur for good and bad. <laughs> if you ever saw a live stream one Friday afternoon, Tom and I tested all the infused beverages that were coming out of Canada, and it wasn't pretty. I'll oh, yeah, the, the early stuff was, uh, to put it lightly, horrendous. Uh, <laughs> it tasted like if we dumped a bunch of sodas together and <laughs> stirred them up is That's... what you get. So what's nice is we have two leaders in the industry who are really pushing things forward. If you look at what they're doing, it's night and day from what we tasted, you know, even like a year ago. So we're very excited to talk to the founders of both Happy and Can, Lisa Hurwitz, founder of Happy and Jake Bullock, founder of Can. So thank you both for being with us. Great to be here, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, so let me start off with 
infused beverages, you know, they are one of the fastest growing formats in cannabis, but it is still a small piece of the pie compared to other formats. What do you guys think it will take to bring those beverages from niche to mass adoption? It's a good question. Yeah, go ahead, Jake. Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, um, it is a very small part of the category today, something we, we, we see in each market, sort of, you know, one to 2% for our market in California. It started at one, we've grown it to two, that's exciting. Um, but still really small when you look at the overall dispensary, you know, share. Um, and, and, and we kind of think that's the wrong way to think about it, right? Um, our, our view is that the opportunity here is not to get people to smoke uh, that, that smoke weed today to drink weed, right? It's rather to get people that are thinking about alcohol. Maybe they're going to have a glass of wine, a couple of beers tonight to have a cannabis beverage instead. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about a much larger category of, of, of from the alcoholic beverage side. Um, and you only really need to take 10% of that to have, you know, $10 billion beverage category in the US and so, um, or bigger. And so we think that that's really the opportunity and what's gonna get us there are brands, you know, brands like Happy, brands like Can that are bringing a, a high level of sophistication around the flavor experience, around the brand experience, right? A brand at the end of the day is, is what does it say about you when you purchase it? Um, that is really the next wave of products and, and they're um, approachable, right? There's something very intuitive about taking a can, cracking it open and drinking it. Um, and I think that's really the future of what the cannabis industry needs to be leaning into those mainstream consumers, um, as opposed to, you know, what, what we think is kind of happening now, which is sort of, you know, uh, trying to sell a lot of really high potency cannabis to, you know, high tolerance consumers that only can last for so long. Yeah. I mean, same as, you know, as, as Jake mentioned, getting that can of curious consumer in, right. Who is going to grow the entire category and it's going to grow the whole cannabis category overall to edibles in addition to beverages. But we really think that's the sweet spot. I would also say um, offsite consumption is huge. So if you think about where people drink alcohol, they don't only drink it at home, right? They drink it at bars and restaurants and sporting events and concerts. So once the market really opens up and you can have cannabis beverages like you could have alcoholic beverages in those um, places, that's going to make a really big difference. And I think the third thing we see is the dispensary format isn't really conducive to selling beverage right now. Um, I think, you know, Jake operates in California, Happy is in Michigan. You know, most of the time we're lucky if there's a fridge in a dispensary and, you know, Happy is quite often buried behind the counter. That makes it really difficult for even the current dispensary consumers to come in, see the product, find the product. So the more we can do to open it up and truly have big refrigerators and coolers the way liquor stores or grocery stores do, I think that's going to change the game quite a bit as well. Do infused beverages have to be refrigerated or is there any formulation that can stay at room temperature? They don't have to be refrigerated. At least our products don't. Um, but the I think the point that Lisa is making is that when they are refrigerated, they are much more appealing to consumers. So there's like an old <laughs> beverage adage that if it's cold, it can be sold. And I think the data is like <laughs> eight to one. Uh, if you think about what sells out of the refrigerated section versus out of the center aisle. And so that's an incredible number. Important. That's yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of it's instant gratification, right? I mean, think about it. If you want to crack open a cold beer today, or you want to go crack open, you know, a mixed kind of cocktail, you you want to grab it right out of the fridge, or you're bringing it home for a party or an event. So to Jake's point, it's about that experience. Um, Happy also does not need to be refrigerated. It tastes better refrigerated. And we, you know, recommend that. But I think the main point is there is no kind of instant gratification in the dispensaries today quite often because there is no kind of display for beverages that allows for that. So Lisa, can I just ask what, 
how do you envision that future looking like is it is it like an evolution of the dispensary itself or is it some kind of you know like are we talking about like maybe you can help me dream it out because I, I, I don't because I because I know exactly the problem you're talking about it's literally like a skinny bar fridge that you'd have in your home right I mean I, ideally we get out of you know, we can get cannabis out of a separate retail channel altogether, right? Ideally, it, it, you know, it can be bought and sold and beverage in particular in liquor stores and grocery stores, and it becomes much more mainstream. I think that's very far off. I think the interim is a dispensary experience that doesn't feel like a head shop. And I think California is in a different league, in my opinion, in terms of how they've evolved that dispensary experience. But you go to some of these limited licensed states, take Michigan or the Northeast, where it's still much more, you know, it's developing. And there really is no great retail formats. You know, these dispensaries still feel quite like head shops. Like you're going to walk in and, you know, you're just going to get sold a lot of flour. It, it's not the experience of, let me walk into a grocery store or a liquor store and I get to pick that bottle of wine and I feel really good about it. So I think, you know, dedicated sections to beverage as the category grows is going to become important. Obviously, these refrigerated experiences, but the ability for consumers to really actually even just see the packaging and see the branding, to, you know, to Jake's point about brands carrying the future of the category, most of these brands are behind the counter today in dispensaries and consumers can't even, you know, just really look at brands next to each other on the shelf. So there's, there's a long road, I think, to dispensary experiences ahead. Jay, could I ask you, is can carried in those cannabis lounges in California? Is it, are you allowed to be carried there? Yeah, we're allowed to be carried there. The, the lounges are interesting um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, obviously, there are a number of, of potential lounges in the works in advance of the pandemic, and that derailed them for for a few years. So we expect that that you know over the course of the next you know six to twelve months, they'll start opening up um, in droves in in California, but also in places like Nevada and Illinois as well. Um, in the early days, everyone that one, the particular license type that um, was available in West Hollywood, which allowed folks to um, consume both smokable products and ingestible products, um, were, those were the most popular and most valuable ones. Interestingly, that has shifted now. I think that what people have started to realize is that they're really expensive to build something uh, in an inside lounge that allows for the right filtration of smoke and smoking to happen inside. And there's still a lot of sort of consequences of that in the neighborhood and, and apprehension. And then um, the experience in, in the lounge is different. And, and what we're seeing now is the value is really moving towards those edibles only ones, which include beverage. Um, you know, there's different regulations. I think we're a little bit away from being able to sell this, you know, in a keg on tap, for example. There's a compliance information and testing that needs to be tied to the specific product. But beverages really are uh, the, the key to unlocking on-premise consumption because you can't sell, you know, a group of five friends a $20 tin of gummies and they all kind of sit around a table and take one and wait a few <laughs> hours, right? Like that's not a good mo economic model for, for these lounges. But beverage is exactly what you want, especially microdose beverage, right? Where folks are going to drink two, three, four, five of these, right? And they're paying for those each round. And so um, that's really, I think, the key piece to, to this. And there's some really smart concepts that I think we'll see launching in, in, in sort of the next few months. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm wondering, um, as you guys look at your first time purchasers and what's working to drive people to try your products when, when they're available, you know, front and center, what, what seems to be the most important for you? Is it a flavor on the label? Is it what the label looks like? Like, what are you finding kind of works for you guys? Yeah, I can jump in. I would say, I mean, brand gets them first, right? You have to have a strong brand. And I think Can's done an awesome job paving the way in this whole category. I think happy is 
aimed more at the female consumer and we're moving in a, in a bit of a different direction. In addition to social occasions, we're also gonna look at solo occasions and could talk a bit about that to kind of the more functional beverage side of the industry. So I think you've got to have a strong brand and packaging that grabs them right off the bat. But I think if you don't deliver on the product, like the flavor has to be awesome. The effect has to be what's promised, right? And that's what's gonna keep that repeat purchase. That's what's gonna keep them coming back. If you want, do you want to expand quickly what you were saying about um, the, the direction you're going? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I worked in cannabis now for four years. I was at an MSO prior to founding Happy, and I heard even Kim Rivers talk about minor cannabinoids this morning. And what's interesting is there aren't many beverages, if any at all, that have started to really play with minor cannabinoids. Um, and yet the functional beverage space outside of cannabis is huge, right? You see all these formulations, not just with CBD, but with reishi mushrooms and all sorts of green tea extract and all sorts of different things. Um, so we are really looking at, you know, our female consumer as the core consumer for happy. And many of the occasions in which she's using cannabis are not just social occasions, but we call them solo occasions. And those solo occasions are things like sleep, right? Sleep is huge in the cannabis category. There are things like you know, immunity um, and, and wellness and those kind of key areas, even beauty. And so it's really important for us to look at sort of the two sides of cannabis. One is I think where CAN, you know, does an amazing job on these social occasions in the social tonic space, the alcohol replacement space. And the other is looking at solo occasions. So we will be coming out this summer. I think we've been pretty public about it, but excited to talk about it with you guys um, with a sleep beverage, as well as kind of a more immunity oriented wellness beverage, um, both of which will be formulated with minor cannabinoids. So Kim mentioned earlier, yeah, CBN, um, CBG is something that we're playing with. And I'm, I'm excited about that because I think that's going to expand the beverage category in a new area that it hasn't really gone yet. You see edibles there quite a bit, um, gummies in particular, but I think there's really a lot of room left for beverages to go in different directions. You know what? It, an interesting point you make on sleep. I, I, you know, I, something I realized a good friend of mine, I had no idea that he was taking like, you know, X milligram of gummies every night to fall asleep. I'm like, holy cazola, like, is that for real? Like, you're like, it was like literally three X the dose I take to have a good time. He's taking to get zonked out. But it got me thinking, and I, you know, just this sleep is a real, it is a real use for a lot of cannabis users. It's, it's not for myself, but I obviously there's a huge market for that. Huge. I mean, I got into the cannabis category from sleep personally. I was a medical patient in Illinois and took pharmaceuticals to sleep and had to get off of them. And that's actually how I got into the industry. And I'm an avid user of edibles for sleep. But what's fascinating is beverage hasn't quite gone there yet. And yet the number of people that want to drink tea before bed, or they want to sip, even people drink alcohol before bed, right? And that's yeah, to self-medicate yeah, yeah. so they can sleep. You know, I, you sit and drink a scotch on the rock so I can fall asleep, or I have my wine to wind down, right? And so again, we believe there is a market for these more solo oriented occasions that beverage can deliver on in addition to social, which again, I think is a huge, huge opportunity. Now I have a question for you, Jake. Are you 100% satisfied with the onset curve and the length of the high you're getting with your current infusion technology? Or do you feel like improvements need to be made to really nail it in to close to how um, alcohol functions? 
Yeah, sort of two questions there, right? I think the first on, on are we happy with it? We, we really are. We've spent a lot of time with a lot of emulsions going back five years. And, and, you know, the industry on the emulsion tech side has changed quite dramatically over those five years, as you can imagine. I think we're seeing really sophisticated science research and, and food science, you know, that is endemic to cannabis uh, in a way that it was definitely not five years ago. And so, um, you know, over time, we've seen um, that, that technology improve. We've seen, you know, onset improve pretty, pretty dramatically, but, but we also care about other things, right? We care about, we care about offset. We care about that. Um, there's a, there's actually a, a, a real feeling in the consumer when they've kind of gotten past uh, the, 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 uh, most intense part of the effect. And so that's sort of similar to alcohol, right? You maybe drink a beer and then you wait 30 minutes and you're like, oh, wow, I feel fine. You have another one that, that key, uh, to, to, to have another one is really important to us. And so we pay attention to that as well. I think the second question, which is, you know, how does that compare to alcohol and how do you think about, you know, getting to a point alcohol is really special in, in lots of ways and what it does in, in the body. Right. Um, and particularly, I think there's psychosomatic elements to this and then there's pharmacological elements. So from the first sip of alcohol, your cortisol is, is being lowered. That is not because of the alcohol, right? That's because of an association that, that, that you've developed in, in, in your brain. And so I think we can get there with cannabis. There's no reason we can't. We just don't have that sort of that history around it. Um, and there may be some specific things about alcohol and, and, and that the, you know, the actual compound that's going to lend itself to um, a, a quicker feeling. Uh, and we may not want as a cannabis industry to really, really push onset. It'll be interesting to see, right? If we're, we're fighting for a, a fully legalized world, like we probably don't want nano emulsification in our products because the FDA is not going to allow it, right? Um, and so there's, there's trade-offs there for sure. I think we're really happy with onset that's around 10 minutes. I think that's, that's sufficient, right? The key is that folks start feeling the effects uh, fairly quickly. That paired with a psychosomatic um, sort of experience that will develop over time from consuming our product and knowing where that effect leads. Uh, I think the combination of those two things makes it really competitive with alcohol, but alcohol will always be unique. You know, they're not exactly the same. We try to, we try to get it as close as possible, but there will always be a little bit of a difference. Now, man, we're just scratching the surface here with beverages. It's been so much fun to talk with you guys. Maybe before we wrap up, do you each want to just say where, if people are watching, where can they get your products and, and where are you going to be in then say the next 12 months if you're expanding? Great. Start with Lisa. Sure. Um, we are available right now in Michigan. Um, we will be expanding this summer and expanding, as I mentioned, some more kind of functional beverage SKUs. We have an East Coast market. Um, it's actually going to be the state of Maine that we are announcing in the next couple of weeks. Um, and My then brother's our brother's from there. I'll tell them. <laughs> Awesome. And hope maybe you'll be up near, I mean, Martha's Vineyard's not too far, right? So maybe you'll no. be up there, uh, up there this summer, but, um, yeah, we're, we're really excited about the Northeast and the Midwest. So our footprint will continue it to expand to other adult use States, um, in both the Midwest and the Northeast. Great. What about you, Jake? Yeah, yeah, we're so we're available um, in a range of dispensaries across the states of California, Arizona, Nevada, um, Illinois, Massachusetts in the U.S., and then also Ontario and British Columbia and Canada. Um, the best way is to go to drinkcan.com um, and you put in your zip code and, and find the nearest dispensary. Also for California folks, um, we deliver, uh, and you can find that on the website as well. Amazing, man. I'm and I should mention, delivery. sorry, I should mention, guys, happyhourdrink.com. Um, you can find the dispensaries that carry us and uh, also go to our Instagram as well. Happy, Happy with an eye. Happy with an eye. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Awesome. It was great to talk to you guys. Thank you for stopping by. Lisa Hurwitz of Happy and Jake Bullock of Can. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you both. Great. Thanks, guys.
All right, welcome back to Grizzle Canvas Con. Scott, we got a good one here. Oh, we got another great panel. These are two guys who have been in the industry a long time. They've been pioneers and they continue to be pioneers. So we're excited to talk to them about products, what's coming next, what are they excited about? We got Colin Landforce. He's CTO of Unrivaled Brands. And then we got Gordon Nickel. He's founder of North 40 Cannabis. So thank you both for being with us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Guys, thank you. Uh, so, you know, start, just start with a first question for both of you guys. You know, uh, just your histories in the industry. Uh, you know, I think you guys, you guys both bring a ton of just OG knowledge, um, can do. And, you know, ultimately, it's, it's a reflection on your products. Colin, you want to start and then, Gord, you, you pick up after? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a I'm a longtime serial entrepreneur. I've been in and out of of the medical world of cannabis for 15 plus years, uh, and and then been operating in recreational in Oregon and California since day zero of both of those rec markets. So, um, uh, fast forward through a couple of rounds of M and I'm now CTO of Unrivaled, uh, like you mentioned, where I I work a lot on our our consumer experience and in the product world, uh, which is something I've been doing the entire time I've I've been in cannabis. All right. Um, for me, uh, I've just been a cannabis consumer uh, for well over 40 years now. Um, grew my first crop in 1989. Uh, did a lot of brokering on the uh, pre-legalization days. And uh, we, uh, we, we joined uh, Canada's uh, regulated industry in uh, 2019. Uh, we're a small micro cultivation facility up here in uh, northeastern Saskatchewan. Thank you, Gord. I was I was three when you harvested your first. <laughs> <laughs> Look at how far the industry's come. <laughs> the, the young blood. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, fantastic one, yeah, guys. This this is as this is a great panel of guys. Like I deeply respect. Obviously, uh, I know I know Colin off Twitter. Scott Scott and I will interact with Colin. Gord, I'm intimately familiar with your product. I'm a super fan of uh, North 40. Uh, you've brought uh, goodness into my life. So that's why you're here. <laughs> well, so, it's all, it, it's, uh, I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, um, we're really fortunate to have the position we're in and, and uh, I grow things that I want to consume. And uh, that's translated pretty well out there in the market. 100%. So, I mean, you guys are both in a position where you're pretty much pushing the legal industry forward. So can you tell us about say the most exciting product for you? Is it still flour or the delivery method as well? Because Colin, I know you're looking on the tech side and delivery, maybe uh, start with Colin and then Gord can weigh in and on products. Sure. So first of all, I'm, I'm long flour. I'm a big flour guy, uh, particularly pre-rolls, which I think are, are uh, the underappreciated skew in the, in the cannabis space. But in general with products, I'm really um, really bullish on full spectrum and then minor cannabinoids, right? So I think that especially as you have these, these open recreational markets, whether it's Canada or certain states in the United States, and you saw the absolute flood of, uh, of biomass into the market, uh, really changed the, changed the landscape for every product input, right? Distillate will always have a place in certain products, but I think especially on the edible front, you see distillate-based distillate edibles uh, more or less go to the wayside. And I think that some of the full spectrum edibles, Lost Farms, uh, Lost Farms, Live Resin Gummies, one of my favorite, favorite SKUs on the, on the market. You get this combination of obviously the, the, the fruit flavors along with um, the realization that 
cannabis kind of tastes good if you eat it in, in the right context and with the right flavor profiles. Um, and I think SKUs like that are absolutely the future. Um, they're, they're obviously much more craft leaning than a distillate based gummy that you can make a million of that'll be exactly the same every time. Um, but I, I love that space. And then I think minor cannabinoids are a huge part of the future, um, but it, it's probably a ways out until you really get in the weeds. That was not an intentional pun on, uh, you know, on, on the THCVs and, and, and all the interesting stuff going on. I don't know if you heard the, the last panel that they're rolling out a drink that's going to have some of that stuff, but it seems like they're on the forefront. So yeah, it is right. some time. Yeah, for us, uh, it's all about the, um, you know, of course, we're trapped in this high THC uh, dominated market. So uh, we have to stay up there. Um, but I am trying to uh, swing the market a little bit more to follow the grower type thing, because we have some extraordinary cultivars that get cast a little bit to the wayside just simply because they're, you know, a, a, a high or, or sorry, a mid or, or low 20% THC. Uh, but we're, we're, we're trying to, to educate people here. Um, we're trying to use our clout, I guess it would be, um, maybe my reputation a little bit to introduce people to uh, some of the, what we would call, uh, you know, upper mid-grade products that uh, are being left behind. Um, uh, I've kind of trying to uh, bring some flavors back that, that are being lost and shuffled out. So it's kind of what we're doing right now. Of course, uh, um, pre-rolls are a big thing now. We're uh, really trying to to hammer out some really nice premium pre-rolls uh nothing uh nothing from the bottom of the bag you know all the top end flowers getting into them we're uh doing pretty well with that and uh is that touching... available in ontario right now Gord? um right now the only thing that we got going into ontario and we're kind of excited about it is our uh hash rosin infused almond brittle yeah um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, i'm still i've got it yeah that's the that's uh that's very exciting. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was in Ontario there for in Toronto, and I brought a bunch of samples with me and uh, shared them with people, and like, the response is phenomenal. It's truly a, a great, great product. So we're really excited to be rolling that out. So, Gordon, it sounds like education is an important aspect to get consumers to appreciate this, not just the number, the THC number on the label. Yeah, it, it is. But I mean, I'm not the guy to say uh, it's all about the terpenes because um, nobody's smoking uh, cannabis just for the terpenes. Um, not that I know of anyhow. Uh, we still want to maintain a, you know, a, a, a good effect from the product and uh, uh, maintain a high level of THC, but uh, it can't be the only driver of products. Uh, I think there's too much to be lost if, that, if that's what happens. Mm. Now, I have a question that may be interesting because you guys are kind of in two different markets, very different regulatory wise. So this will be interesting. Is there one thing you can think of that the industry is really dropping the ball on with the consumer right now that they could do better? Well, for Canada, it's got to be the 10 milligram limit on edibles. Oh. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that one's uh, crazy, uh, you know, childproof packaging on flour. Uh, I'm not sure what they're afraid the toddlers are going to do. <laughs> These are strong you know, I, toddlers out there. <laughs> I, I started young, but I still couldn't roll a joint till I was at least a teenager. So uh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's almost its own self-limiting uh, thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. Wait, what about you, Colin? Uh, I uh, that's a big one. That's a big one for me. I think I always uh, I, I lose a little bit of sleep thinking about the amount of packaging uh, that a company like any of ours puts into the world. I'm just on a daily basis because, you know, plastics are, are the bane of our of Mother Earth's existence. Right. 
And when you bring into account things like these dosage limits uh, uh, that Gore mentions in Canada uh, and child resistance on pre-rolls and flour yep. that I think we could agree are, are pretty uh, innocuous um, for, for kids to get in their hands, that just makes it exponentially worse than it needs to be. And uh, I think there's, there's a place for all those things big time. I have a, uh, have a three-year-old and I, I hate the idea of her getting, you know, a gummy or a, or a tincture in her hands. Those, those things absolutely need to be. But a, a lot of these SKUs and then, and then related rules like dosage are, are really making it a lot worse than it needs to be. Um, and it's especially bizarre for a industry that, of course, is fairly conscious of, uh, of usage of plastics and, and so on and so forth to be such a big contributor to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. So are there any, I got to talk to you guys about trends because you do see a lot out there. Are there any important trends you're seeing from the consumer, consumer you think investors should be aware of? Like, how are they buying? What products do they like? Is anything changing really? Or is it kind of in status quo lately? And, and maybe maybe a question specific for Gordon, Canada, obviously, you know, you know, we have a unique landscape here where there, it was, you know, just given the amount of um, capital that came into the industry that should, you know, backing poor product, um, the consumer experience, are you noticing that evolution change just given that, you know, a lot of, the, you, you know, we've kind of worked through some of the awful biomass and, and growers that should have never been growing. I don't know, just bigger picture and just trying to think, are we getting to a more evolved place? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, when I came, my first products came into the market in 2019 and barely over 20%. And it was, you know, that was almost unheard of at the time. And now uh, you can't sell 20% product in, in Canada. Um, a lot of the bigger growers are getting better. There's new players coming on board with uh, some of these hybrid uh, greenhouse technologies that are doing really good. Um, and the small craft growers are taking market share away from some of the bigger, less capable uh, producers out there. We're seeing that uh, uh, as a going trend. So that's encouraging. Um, in some ways. So, yeah. What about you, Colin? What are you seeing? Well, I think tacking onto that, I think the, uh, the micro brew category of products, right? Uh, I mentioned alcohol there, but really that, um, uh, that entire category across the board is taking the world by storm right now. It has been for a few years. And I think cannabis is the first, the perfect vector for that to continue. Um, so I think that, that that lends itself to not the, uh, the mega factories uh, growing mid indoor and it lends its much itself much more to uh, smaller batch space batch specific products like the the full spectrum stuff I mentioned like the the uh, hosh rosin brittle uh, that, that Gord mentioned and uh, and and all the things all the all the things that are in that vein um, in, in terms so, of so Colin, just a, a follow-on question to that is that is the idea that ultimately you know if we get this bifurcation of the market where you're listen i don't want biomass or mids you know and like so that idea is you're just going to get a better margin profile um you know getting to this place where people you know appreciate craft much like micro you know much like you know uh micro etc right well, I think that uh, someone recently described to me as an hourglass shaped market, right? So there's a lot, a lot of business to be done at the top and a lot of business to be done at the bottom and, and almost nothing in the middle. And so when you go to the bottom of that spectrum, it's, it's people that are growing amazing outdoor, right? The, the bottom, the cheap right. stuff is like really, really excellent sun grown. 
right? Exactly. And and especially yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's that's very prominent. And you know, we have Southern Oregon and Northern California, which is like you know, objectively like best climate in the world to grow sun-grown cannabis, right? And so in doing that, the there's not a huge there's not much share to be had there for just like okay indoor, right? Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. kind of the worst of both worlds. And I think in a lot of consumer goods spaces, uh, the the middle there is really where never where you want to be in general. Yeah, great. Well said. Very interesting. So uh, maybe this is one for Gord. C- can the average consumer really tell quality or do they still just, are they, it sounds like you answered the question earlier. Are they just judging quality by the THC or is that changing, do you think? Um, I think it's starting to change. Um, here, I, I can speak pretty, um, pretty well to the Saskatchewan market where most of my business is done. And we are seeing um, customers educate themselves about packaging dates, um, stuff like that. I mean, we do on-demand packaging for all of our retail outlets. Uh, so uh, we're getting hands uh, product into the hands and consumers within days of packaging uh, coming out of the straight out of the cure containers. Um, we're finding that that's uh, resonating with consumers and they're starting now. Uh, we're f- hearing a lot more feedback where bud tenders are, are telling us that uh, because of what we're doing, um, a lot more people are be educating themselves and they were wondering why when they open up a bag of our product, it's, you know, the, the nose is there and the freshness is there as opposed to something they might've bought off the shelf last week that was packaged months ago. So um, in that respect, I feel that the consumers are, are, are getting uh, more educated. And along with that, they're now starting to uh, tune into a little bit more about what the growers are doing and the, and the uh, curing processes uh, and stuff like that and the difference that it can make in the end products. Colin, when you hear Gord, does that sound like your Western markets like a while ago or is it is it very different in like how you've seen the consumer change over time? Well, I think that in a lot of ways, you know, it's interesting. The guardrails are the, are the same. So many of the details and in, in the rules are, are so different. Um, in general, I think that, you know, cannabis, Canada has been at it for a while. Um, which I, I would imagine that I'm not familiar with the Canadian market, but I would imagine that uh, in the micro, there's a lot of very similar things going on. He mentioned the hash rosin brittle like that. That lines up exactly with what I was just saying about full spectrum edibles and uh, and like a move away from these distillate based um, CPGs. And I, I think like one of the uh, most bizarre parts of what what we all do is that, uh, you know, can't all, all these different markets have the same guardrails, like don't sell to kids. Right. But then all of the minutia is so different and so varying that, that it really doesn't, it doesn't do the consumer any favors at the end of the day. Like, and, and, and it creates a ton of confusion. It doesn't set brands up well to scale across borders. Um, it, it's really a disservice to everybody efforts, everybody's efforts, how fragmented all that is. Yeah. So standardization still has to come, but that will help the industry overall. I think in a huge way. And I think what matters is it'll help consumers, right? Like it, it will significantly improve the consumer experience, which is the key to mass adoption, which we're not even close to. And uh, all, a lot of walls, metaphorical and literal need to fall before, before we get there. All right. Guys, this, this is a fantastic segment. Obviously, yeah. you know, lots, you know, look forward to having you guys back on ton of insight here for OG smokers and, and you know, folks new uh to cannabis guys follow these guys they're on twitter um unrivaled brands north 40 uh wish you guys best of luck i know you guys are crushing it on your own but uh it was, it was great to catch up with you thanks for having us yeah
Thank you very much, you guys. Thank you. All right, don't go anywhere. We got the uh, Peace to Resistance, Mr. Mitch Farukowitz from Merida. If you don't know Merida, I think potentially the largest, maybe the largest cannabis PE firm in North America. So they're seeing everything that's going on. You don't want to miss this. Well, welcome back. Grizzle Cannabis Con, man. Woo! The train keeps on rolling. Guys, we went, we've taken this train from 10 a.m. all the way through to our final and most important speaker, Mitch. Guys, give it up for Marita Capital, man. Uh, wonderful. Man, always good. Listen, I tweeted something out. You were, you shot, like, perfect shot, perfect shot. That was, that was incredible. Uh, so this is why you tune into CannabisCon, guys. We had Mitch on in November, a long time ago. He said, you got to watch for this reimbursement, medical reimbursement. Boom, what did we get last week? Medical reimbursement in New York. So as we said, Mitch is watching a lot of things. And so it's always great to bring him on. So good to see you, Mitch. Yeah, well, guys, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, you guys have been such amazing people bringing such in interesting ideas into the the sort of cannabis lexicon. And, um, and also, I think people get very hung up on stocks. And they don't always focus on thematic ideas that are going to, you know, push the next 20 years of, of investment. Um, and everyone's thinking in, in cycles of quarter to quarter. And, you know, it's great that Kim and, and Jason kind of talk from the public perspective. I know you guys didn't get Verano, but um, I think it's amazing that when you when you hear Kim and and Jason speak, and I'm sure if you had the CEOs of a lot of the MSOs, whether it's GTI or or um, or Verano or or Kirli, what you'd hear is there's a lot happening. Um, I did want to point out one thing, you know, just one piece of feedback. I I agree with a lot of what Jason and Kim said. I I do think. And, and Colin just said something too, which is, is we sometimes get hung up on consumer adoption. Consumer adoption is here. Legal consumer adoption is still growing at a, a rapid rate. Legal consumer right. adoption isn't here yet. But from a consumer adoption perspective, cannabis is still the most unregulated from a federal perspective in the world, the most yeah. consumed product in the world that is currently unregulated. So consumer adoption itself yeah isn't an issue, it's legal consumer adoption. I think that's a really important fine detail that sometimes we miss. It's, you know, when, when Kim talks about consumer data, uh, obviously I'm a heavy investor in data elements. That's one of the reasons why I can predict things when it comes to regulations, kind of getting a sense of, of what is happening, not just, you know, on the ground, but really what's, what's the mindset of the regulators looking at what's happening on the ground? What's the mindset of, whether it's uplisting, I mean, we, we dig deeper because we have a bigger team and with a bigger team, you can take a deep breath and, and start to explore things that sometimes companies just, you can't explore if you're just hopping from, you know, from fire, from sort of fire drill to fire drill. So we're built to consume this information and, and that allows us to, to sort of penetrate deeper. So one thing that, you know, that I think Kim, Kim's actually right about, there's a tremendous amount of consumer data, but the consumer data from just the usage at her, uh, at her point of sale systems, isn't just the data that's going to drive the, the, the industry forward. It's the, what is the consumer data that's happening from people who are still consuming illegally? What is the data around other specialty uh, consumables and how we can extrapolate insights from that? And, and so there's a lot that's happening with respect to the consumer, but I do agree with her. They are, you know, truly this great at paying a deep attention to what's happening. I've always, uh, if you go back to 
I think it was Benzinga 2018 or 19, probably 18, Kim and I uh, did a fireside um, sort of, we did this little interview set, session and she always was talking about why they do delivery and how they do delivery. And you know, I walked away thinking, she's paying attention to, to what's going on. Like yeah, she's, yeah. she's not just, you know, spraying and praying. She is deeply paying attention to what people want in Florida. So. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's something the industry just think you that spraying and praying, you know, that it just is coming back to, we actually brought that up with Kim, just that aspect of just how much money has been thrown at this industry. Uh, we, uh, Scott and I were ringside uh, watching the lunacy in Canada, right? Like early days, right there. Yeah. There's, there's LPs that should have no business uh, even getting the capital to buy the spray gun. Right. You know, right. Uh, but so, you, you know, a lot of ways, you know, where we sit right now is a far, it feels like it's a far better place to what you're saying, that view of like, get your head out of this whole day to day. What's, what's MSOS doing like this minute? What's and it, it matters. And yeah, I know it, it matters, but, but it, it, it's also, I, I, for me, I mean, we come from an entrepreneurial background. We were operators in the space. Yes, we're a fund. And clearly, I mean, we have a huge public book too from selling, I don't know, I think we sold six companies at over a hundred million dollars to, to large companies in the space. So it matters to us, but I think it's really important that think of where we came from just 16, 17, when, when Canadian cannabis went legal, no one was talking about, you know, minor cannabinoids and genetics and the medicalization and the, the potential for American, at least reimbursement. You know, you had like this legacy of Californian pioneering and Colorado pioneering and Washington pioneering and Oregon pioneering. And then you had this like East Coast illegality. And it was really illegal here, right? It was, and, and people sort of, and that's why I think a lot of the operators who have these limited licenses are going to do better over time because they understand what it's like to transition people whose mindset is this, there's a stigma around the illegality. Right. And California didn't have that. I mean, you could get brownies on, you know, Venice Beach when in, in 2005, you know, it wasn't like a hard thing. So the illegality components that still drive like the East Coast markets like New York, everyone keeps projecting the numbers for New York's legality. They have no idea how big it's going to be because the reality is New York. Remember, there's still stigma attached. So you don't really understand the consumer till you have a legal market access. And when you do that, then you see, you know, what the numbers really are. And I think New York's going to wildly exceed most people's estimates because of that. You know, it's not like California going legal. It's not like other places going legal. This is a place where delivery is already rampant. There's probably five to six billion of illegal consumption. And I think New York's going to cannibalize that pretty quickly. And it, could you maybe just walk us through how that happens? Because a lot of people are, you know, the view is the traditional, well, I'm going to stay with my, you know, my dealer. He's taking care of me, X, Y, Z. You know, uh, like- And and those dispensaries, all the illegal dispensaries that are in the news, you know, in like yeah. Damn, New York or whatever. Yeah. Like, do you yeah. think that, do, are those kind of a problem for now and then they end up going away or is it like an actual issue? Yeah, I mean, just like, like with Michigan and some other states, it, depending on the state, um, I think you, you do get these hiccups that seem to be like the big news story, but then just kind of migrate into the fold. First of all, the, the Cannabis Commission of New York, I think is doing a pretty good job of taking a very, very hard line against that, number one. Okay. They are, they're not going to tolerate the Delta 8 and CBD trucks. Like it, it, it works for now because the infrastructure is focused mainly on building a program, but they're not going to be California. They're, 
there's nothing close to what's going to happen from a look the other way and let this gray market. That is not going to be a function. I mean, they are dead serious about making sure they get the tax dollars from it and that everything is legal. Um, but I do think it shows the entrepreneurialism in New York. It shows how New York is. You know, New York's going to push if the if the levels here. New York's going to push the down, <laughs> right? And I think. Um, which is why I think New York's going to be an enormous market from consumption lounges to to a, a vast, you know, other business, whether it's creating form factors that that help dense urban environments so that flower, like like with what Colin said and Gord and Kim and, and Jason, you know, people love flower. Flower is the most predictable form. But, you know, one thing we're learning, and, and this is really important, I just got this insight over the last, like, six to eight weeks from New Frontier data and, and some validation around it. And we're, we're writing about it. So I don't want to flesh it out too deeply because I-, I Oh, really please do. That's why, that's why Grizzle Cons exists. I know, so. but, but <laughs> here's what's so interesting about what you said before, Thomas, which I think a lot of people think. I'm going to stick with my dealer. Now, remember, we've gone through this before and some of the other Grizzle stuff, but you know, if anyone's yep. a viewer, the first and foremost is a lot of the people stay in the illegal market in Canada because the best growers stay in the illegal market. Right. Okay, yep. that's number one. We, we know in the United States, it's a lot different. A lot of great growers are still growing illegally in, in places, but in, in outdoor primarily, you know, not a lot of large scale illegal indoor anymore. It just doesn't make economic sense. And so you get outdoor. People want the stronger cannabis that typically is indoor. And so what, what one thing that we know about the consumer now and why I disagree that people will stay with their dealers in New York is because of variety. When people, I think it's something like 70%, and that's why I'm saying I don't have the data. Uh, it's not, it's, we're still regressing it to, to clean it, but it looks like 70% of the people who walk in a dispensary buy at least one item that they didn't plan on buying when they walked in, okay? Right. So right. the exploratory nature right. of the cannabis consumer, whether legal or illegal, right? Clearly some of that could be driven by someone walking in for the first time and not having a clue what they wanna buy. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's why you have to clean the data and see how many times people have been in. But anyone who's been in a MedMen, anyone, you walk around, you go, you know what, I'm going to try one of these. Because I think what, what a lot of the people said today, and I think people say it generally is, we know about the consumer, they want a consistent experience. That's true. However, they may want a consistent experience with what they know they're consuming, but there is no doubt that people walk into a dispensary and say, I'm going to try this once. They're looking for new feelings. And new, because the, the remarkable part about the plant is consumption hits everyone a little different. And consumption also, if you, you know, there are people that go to Jamaica and, and think Jamaican cannabis is the greatest and the terpenes and, and the, the adaptogens in the, the plant make it a good product. But the truth is, I know a lot of people that don't think Jamaican cannabis is very good. They think it's very weak. They bring cannabis with them to Jamaica when they vacation because Jamaicans want to find that, that, that they call it meditation. They want to find that buzz. Yeah. But when people here want to consume, they're consuming for a variety of reasons, but a lot of it is to get hot, right? They want to find, yeah, yeah, yeah. they want to go over the edge, whereas Jamaicans want to find that yeah. mellow. But well, in so, Jamaica, Jamaica, there's no problem with seeds, man. It's just, it's all, you know, it's, it's like oh, whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, you've got to have a de-seeder if you want to, you know, and also the guy who gives you like a wet, you know, half pound that you got to dry out and it's not even dry by the time you get off the vacation, like you've been hairballing it for the last <laughs> But, you know, aside from that. But, no, but, but all, all kidding aside, it's, it's very interesting to find the itinerant nature of the cannabis consumer. So when you think of brand exploration or brand loyalty, the loyalty could be to, let's just use Truly because Kim was the one speaking about, they may want a Truly product, 
but they're going to try different truly strains because of that genetic sampling, which is why we're heavily invested in genetics. You can see, you can see clearly that the world is going to, you know, whether it's minor cannabinoids, whether it's uh, new, new uh, adaptogens or cannabinoids that are being discovered, whether it's THCV, which we, we know is an appetite suppressant. So uh, like a company like Her Highness may want it because women who are consuming don't want to get the munchies. So there's a lot of things happening, but it's not necessarily just about brand loyalty. It's, they may be like, truly it's going to make good products, whatever we do, whatever they do. And I'm going to try that. But it's clearly that the cannabis consumer, and you don't get this when you get the delivery illegal experience. You don't get to walk into a store and try 50 different things. Yeah, and there's discover no discovery. Right? Yeah, 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 and yeah. I think the discovery process of cannabis is something I know, look, I personally have been really, really studying it for the last probably eight months because it, it's, it started, it just pops up in, in all the data that we get. You can see this little element of exploratory. For instance, think of how different it is in traditional industries. You walk into a supermarket, you're, you're there, you're gonna get one peanut butter that you use. You're not trying three different peanut butters. You're not gonna buy a new peanut butter because you may try a new bag of chips or something small. But when it comes to cannabis, the, the ability of a, can, of a cannabis dispensary to sell cannabis consumers on a new product it is much higher than, than a ShopRite or, a, or a, you know, a, an Aldi or one of the big supermarket brands. And I think because of that, it's important that your brand be consistent, but that you continue to introduce new iterations. And that's why, again, genetics for us, you know, heavy investments in genetics, um, heavy investments in, in ad tech and data to understand where the consumer is, to look at what the consumer, you know, if you know that every consumer that walks into a dispensary is also Googling like best strains for medical, you know, for cancer appetite, that's good news. That's good things. That's good to know. If you're trying yeah. to reach consumers, that's good to know. So I agree with Kim that like that data matters, but I would argue that 95% of the cannabis companies, that exist, if not more, are going to use a company like New Frontier or MediaGel in our portfolio for that data because they're not data science companies, right? Truly may be good at like our consumers are saying this to us and we're very responsive and they might do deep dives on data, but are they doing like data regressions to figure out what people are looking at on their phones when they're in truly dispensaries? Maybe they are, but I, I tend to think that there's going to be professional companies that do it better. So when Merida's looking at the future of cannabis, we're looking at those searches. You know, Leafly, one of the reasons when we use back Leafly, and obviously you had Yoko on before, it's so interesting to understand what Leafly knows about the consumer. Yeah, that was you know, fascinating. It's so deep and, and so rich and textured. It going back to, you know, one of Merida's first investments in New Frontier back to 2016, which is the eventually when the space normalizes, data actually matters. That's the differentiator is what do you know about people? And I think a lot of people are focused on what people are doing at the stores today, but you can also just like our, our piece on heavy consumers coming to the market from, you know, six or seven months ago, that piece explored what does it mean when the guy who's smoking four to $500 of cannabis a month and he wants to get banged for his buck. That's the mid guy that Colin was talking about. That's the low end. That guy wants strong, cheap cannabis. Meanwhile, the new consumer might want a beverage or might. So I, I find the newer product categories are, are really around the newer consumer, which is still coming in pretty yeah. quickly, but that the transitioning consumer from the illicit market is, is a consumer that people aren't, they're not studying enough about the illegal market to understand what they want when they hit the legal market. 
Yeah. So what's the big carrot? Is it going after, cause you know, there's a, a less than way less than 50% of people like use cannabis regularly. So is the nugget going after those consumers through drinks? Or is it going after the heavy users and converting them from the le- legal market? Or yeah, well, the heavy users are coming in because the heavy users, first of all, you know, are are very interested in finding face. You know, something we went back to to Thomas's original thing. I think we said when I first did uh, maybe a year and a half ago by now, which is finding something that brings a different element to what they're already experiencing. Right, cannabis can be wonderful, but if you smoke the same thing every day, you're, you're going to you'd you'd have to stop in a way to reset your cannabinoid system. Yeah, and we discussed that. That was right. Really we we discussed it length, and in yeah. fact, you know, um, there's a study going on right now where someone is studying how you can reset that cannabinoid system quicker. Whether there's a molecule or something, where think about if you could take a pill where every time you smoke, it's like the first time you smoke. That would be hey. incredible. <laughs> right. Every well, guy who has smoked you know, an eighth a day, like Thomas is going to buy. It. <laughs> but, um, no, no. Well, yeah, well, you know what, for me too, like, I'm just at that point right now. I'm just like, I don't even, you know, the, the, that, that point of what's the point, you know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, I know that's what a lot of smokers, like smokers have that issue. Right. And, right. you know, now, you know, uh, edibles actually are kind of like, Oh, that's fantastic. Like that's something, but, um, but the habitual use versus, uh, habitual use versus like fully conscious voluntary use. Like the person using it on a Friday and a Saturday to, to, to essentially enhance their social life is not the habitual user that's waking, you know, waking and baking and using it as a modulator. Like it, and yep. it's by usage, I don't, I don't think one's more virtuous than the other. It's just that the experience is different and the yep. consumer is really different. And, you know, our job, I think to, to find the best investments is to really dig deep into the ecosystem to understand that difference. And I think, um, it, it, you know, there is a lot of noise, but there's plenty of signal that you can now extrapolate. So, you know, Scott, to your question, consuming, uh, converting the heavy user out of the illegal market is hard initially because that consumer is a, they want things convenient, but as the experience replicates in the legal market, whether it's delivery, curbside, you know, the fact that the legal market has plenty of cheap bottom shelf cannabis that these guys can get now, that's probably of similar quality to what they're consuming outdoor. And the fact that they can walk in and buy something new that might give them a new experience, you know, a, a, a um, sort of regenerate their, their excitement, you know, rather than like. Well, 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 exactly to your point, you know, when I discovered Gord's Alive Rosin, like it was, it was mind blowing, like, you know, in terms of just, and I don't think I would have found that definitely wouldn't have found that in the legal market. Now, obviously I would have had to know Gord in Saskatchewan in, you know, in the, you know, in, you know, in the legacy market, but that wasn't going to be something that would have ever happened. Right. And so instead I was getting, you know, you would, you, you, you get the, you you just get what was available. Maybe it was good. Yeah, no, no, that's what the, that's what the illicit market is. And, and also let's be clear. The illicit market at this point, isn't just, it's, it's, illegal cannabis or unregulated cannabis, but a lot of it is similar like to the mid or low end that's going on the shelves in California or other places because it's being grown by, in California particularly, there are a lot of legal growers from what I understand and, and there's some data that proves that, a lot of legal growers are you know diverting their own products. And I'm not saying it's everyone and I'm not saying what, oh, I don't know what right. percentage it is, but there, there, there is a, a, a huge loophole in the California regulatory regime that kind of 
makes it almost impossible to, to discourage at this point. And I know that there are people working on closing that loophole, but, you know, just to make the point and Colin. It, or, so I'm is sorry. that just like, the, there's no net, like I'm growing this, but I don't have to account for where yeah, it kind of goes the at the end. It, it, yeah, okay. that's the loophole. It's kind of like everything is the same. And then half of that room ends up in New York. But, you know, Jake <laughs> uh, from Can said something really interesting, which I think is completely true. And it's something we're exploring very, very heavily, which is this, this feeling of when someone consumes cannabis, there's this anticipatory um, decrease in whether it's cortisol or increase in oxytocin or serotonin or dopamine before you even get to the anandamide interaction with cannabis. You know, anandamide being the, the way that the original endocannabinoid system was discovered is the presence of an enzyme that interacted with for some reason, THC and CBD in a, in a pretty profound way. And that's how the receptors were discovered is where was this anandamide sitting in the body? And so when you think of someone like they, they take, I, I will agree that the consistency of like a drink or something that you may consume less, less frequently is very important because someone might only consume that once every couple of weeks and they start to take those first sips and, you know, the, the biochemical effects of the anticipation of the high coming. So that when there's that intense moment of, you know, when you go fight or flight, like, am I going to be too high or am I going to be just right? I think the consistent experience allows you to, to, to transition into that feeling. And that's a very important part of the beverages. We've done a, a fair amount of discussions with beverages. You know, when we, I say we, I mean the portfolio companies and, and beverage consumers are very concerned of overconsumption. And, you know, because like you're drinking it and the next, it's not like vodka, where, you know, it, you know, after the first drink, second drink, it, you could get, I mean, if you drink a hundred, if you miss the zero and then you drink a hundred instead of 10, it's going to be a rough ride. Well, and, well, and, and, and that's always been the challenge with gummies, right? You never want to be the dude in a puddle. Like that's like, you know, yeah. you know, like. And, and, and that's that, why the illegal market doesn't do edibles a lot. I mean, they do it, but it's basically spray on THC on gummies and stuff. And it's different than microdosed and the kind of things that you're now seeing in the market, which are so precision dosed that your experience can be one of, of, of just mellow, you know, unwind all the way through to, Hey, I'm going to, you know, like this weekend, the governor's ball and I want to be rocking for six hours, you know? And I think that that experience because of the mindset around the cannabis consumer, which is that's why people love flour. You kind of flour, there, there can't be that many unexpected, you know, bends in the road in flour. You smoke it, you kind of know where you're at 10 or 15 minutes later. You, you don't expect a second surge two and a half hours later, all of a sudden you can't see straight. I mean, there's no chance of that. Whereas edibles is more of a wave and so is beverages. And I think that's all about adoption. I'm sorry, uh, absorption curve and, and stuff. And when you asked, that was a wonderful question to Jake and and, um, and Lisa about the absorption and are they happy? We, we are a big investor in Source, which is a, a beverage technology company that powers those beverages. Hmm. And, you know, that, that comes down to solubility and and I think when you give really good idea people like the two people you had on there around beverages, the tools, they're going to make products people like, <laughs> you know, they're going to make products that people love. And so, you know, if you guys want, I kind of made a list of like, here's the four things I think or five things that people need to focus on over the next year in cannabis. Sure. Yeah. This Not is great, guys. guys, five okay. things from Mitch to you, uh, to you that focus yes. on, we take notes. Okay. Right. So first and foremost, I think data is, is, is not just... And, and everyone uses data, you know, in terms of like, they use the words, it's a buzzword. It's, you know, I'm sure the guy from WeWorks um, used to pitch data from what we're getting in the companies that are 
everyone uses data. Data is that you know magical thing, and there are companies obviously that make a lot of money in data. IBM and and the like, you know, multi multi billion dollar companies use data in a sophisticated way. In fact, BlackRock uh, reportedly is the biggest buyer of consumer data in the world because they basically want to know how much foot traffic is in the stores before earnings and whatever. So it's not just about driving consumer insights. It's about advertising technology isn't there yet. So, you know, advertising can be a negative or it can be a virtue. If it shows you things you want that are relevant to what you're buying and may want to buy, very virtuous, but we don't have that in cannabis yet. So you're losing the ability to really drive consumers who, you know, the consumer discovery process, much like Napster or music in the, you know, iTunes benefited from Napster because people were like going through other people's libraries and you're like, I think I might like that music. This guy's got all this great music. What's this band? You remember, you know, back in the day, people who were young and we used to be able to go into other people's hard drives through Napster. Like it, it showed you a guy's hard drive and what music was on it. So the discovery process is important to consumer adoption. And the discovery process in cannabis right now is extremely opaque. So I think with discovery, right now the discovery process is going to a dispensary and see what's on the shelf. Or go to Leafly or go to a few other sites that are, are, are working on, you know, let's call it democratic votes on what something might or might not be. So that's one thing. So as ad tech increases, you're going to see discovery in, increase. And with discovery comes passion and excitement. So that's both for new consumers and existing consumers. Again, Scott, driving that legacy Joe Sixpack smoker into the legal market because that discovery process is better in the legal market. Very little discovery in the illegal market. It's like when you used to get Cracker Jacks. You know, the illegal market's a little like Cracker Jacks. You open up the box, hopefully there's a really cool toy you want to use. If you get the tattoos, you give it to Thomas. No one wants the tattoos <laughs> you get in a Cracker Jack box, right? You want the little thing with the bang snaps you can throw at someone's head. So yeah. that's one thing. So data is going to unlock a lot. Number two, genetics. People said it, a lot of people talk about it today. So here's the four things I think genetics. You have different highs and different feelings. You have the consistent replication for the people who want that, you know, who are doing it for more of that anticipatory, like I need to unwind. This is my way of doing that. So you want that consistent. It's just like, you don't even care if you get high, you want that feeling of relaxation, mm -hmm. which is what you get when you've been consuming for years and years and years and years, because your body will anticipatorily send out the dopamine and the serotonin. That's the, the pacifier usage, right? Then you have the minor cannabinoids, which everyone's spoken at length, I'm not gonna go into, but then most important on the genetic side is the ability for growers to focus on the idea process and lead the genetics to companies who are better at creating seed genetics. So I think you're gonna see a lot more specialization in seed genetics and you'll see companies like a truly using outside providers who are gonna arm those people. And obviously I'm a heavy investor in the, in the, in the arms merchant on that side, because I do think that you, you unless you're gonna run a massive lab, like people want, the MSOs focused on the consumer and leave the lab and, and heavy scientific elements to people who want to do that for a living so that you don't end up risking all this capital in producing, you know, it's like buy new Coke or try to build it. Well, new Coke, you know, Coke spent 2 billion building new Coke. Within a year, they bought Glacia, right? For vitamin water. Much easier right. to buy something that you already yeah, know the adoption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you're going to find- That's a great analog. Yeah, so specialization is what you're talking about. Specialization of what powers the MSO brand, like Kim said, the house of brands, like Jason said, the house of brands, the ability. Kim's got a lot of eyeballs and a lot of shelf space. Let someone else power all that work it takes to fill that with the best things. 
And I think at times you want that because it's just, it's a lower capital risk. It's worth it to spend money on that rather than do it in house where you have to take all the risk. Then medicalization, as you guys know, New York, the reimbursement law that, that was passed in New York, it's a two page law, easy to read. It just modifies. It basically says cannabis will now be considered a prescription drug for these four public programs. It's not going to go into effect in New York till April 1st of 2023. So the vote in that they need. But as you guys know, last time, the reason I predicted that is because New Jersey had had laws come out of uh, it's the Judiciary Committee. So Jersey, I thought, was going to move quicker. But the other thing I was seeing is that workers comp are payors. They're not just reimbursers. And because of all the lawsuits around workers comp, I thought that there would be a workers comp insurance law and Jersey happens to be a leader in that. The other thing I've heard anecdotally from a bunch of insurance executives is that they are quietly already reimbursing people for you know, certain injuries in workers comp. They're just not talking about it. They're not publicizing it, but there is a lot of quiet reimbursement happening. And when that happens, they're already soft to it. So they just don't want lawsuits, right? They want to avoid being the one like when, you know, the workers' comp insurer was, was in, the, in the Hager case in Jersey. So I think you're going to see medicalization and insurance reimbursement and the entire medical vertical change shape over the next year. You know, and my prediction there is the biggest place it's going to change shape is you're going to see established medical providers like maybe like a, a, a Sloan Kettering saying, we want specific products for people getting chemo that can help them with their appetite, that people are going to start looking at cannabis much more seriously because a New York has now kind of given its imprimatur. Now, I am desperately trying to get the legislative dicta for how New York came to the conclusions it came to. Right now, I haven't been able to get it yet. I'm working on that. I want to read what was the medical inputs that they used to make such a significant step. Okay, fourth thing, industrial hemp. If you're not watching, Colin talked about the packaging, even, you know, the, the individualization of cannabis packaging and differentiation is great. The childproofing is literally filling up landfills at this point. Yeah, that's And right. I think, so I think we got to get smarter on that. And I think, you know, just like the way water bottles change, I think cannabis rules have to be changed, not necessarily loosened, but you have to think about cannabis packaging differently. It's very wasteful and it's really wasteful because of the regulations. So, and, and by the way, you know, you can't open half the packages. I have problems. Pack oh, yeah. So I don't really understand that. So I think there's a revolution coming in packaging, which is Does going that apply to, to construction as well. Oh, well, I, you know, I'm just talking about hemp from a bioplastics and biomaterial. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah. the amount of construction and the, the dislocation of a lot of the existing industrial materials is going to happen. We know that commoditization is off the charts. Hemp is a much cheaper way to, to do concrete, well, hempcrete, and other things. And we know hempcrete recently got a ISS uh, global designation where it's a safe building material. That's going to drive adoption. Do, do you know what? I, like, I, I'm so curious about the, this hempcrete. I, it's almost like we need to do a special on this. Just, hempcrete, you know, I... Yeah, I need to go out so there. We need power. to see this. Yeah, you know what? Like, we actually need to have like a camera on the, you know, just to explain what this is. It's amazing. It's you know, people think of it like, I think of hemp, I think of CBD, and but what what you can get the CBD molecule out now while also preserving the bast and herd fibers, and because of that, you the amount. That's why, and it's cheap. Hemp is cheap because it was overgrown over the last few years. So, yeah. you know, and by the way, it's, it's one of the few Canadian industries that's really, you know, our investments in hemp processing have all been in Canada. So it's the one place where I'm really bullish in Canada, you know, because it's dry, it's cold. 
up in, in the Upper West, like Alberta area. So I think hemp and, and also think of Latin America when they pass their cannabis industries, they're, they're all, they're very much about sustainability. So you're going to see hemp immediately sort of piggyback on that. And then China, China is currently buying, you know, processed hemp cotton from one of our portfolio companies, even though 60% of that or 70% of the world's hemp is grown in China because of the processing, because of the cleanliness around it, because of the ESG elements. So that's it. And then the, 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 the sort of fifth thing, um, and, or I think this is, yeah, this is the fifth thing is the laws. You know, we hear about safe banking, Steve Daines, a Montana center, blood red state was against the law, but now that the law is passed, he wants safe banking because the Montana Bankers Association wants clarity. With clarity comes adoption, with clarity comes progress. And I think people under underestimate how much the uncertainty around these little elements of cannabis around the edges really do drive money flow, right? If you can make money in a lot of areas, yes, cannabis has a tremendous growth and we know that the consumer adoption from the illegal market to the legal market is gonna drive huge gains nearly to 100 billion by 2026, 27, whereas most people were projecting a 20, 30 billion dollar industry. You know, if you look three years ago, look at the projections. Okay. It's stratospherically different, but uncertainty. So laws, it's not just laws that, that change a state like North Carolina recently, no one's talking about that. North Carolina is 10 million people. They just passed the medical law. It'll make it out of, it, it'll make it full. It, it'll get passed in, in the second house it needs by the end of the year. North Carolina is gonna have a program. Georgia's launching its program. You know, Kim talked about some of the new states. These are 10 million people. New York's, you know, rec hasn't even started yet. You're talking about massive, massive illegal consumers who now will have legal access because every medical program is a new consumption ecosystem. Yeah. So that also will give us a bigger picture of what the Southern states look like. Mississippi, you know, alcohol was illegal on a state level there until 1968. You had to pass it at the at your local level to be able to do alcohol. It was illegal from a state. And then the state started saying, you can pass it at the county level, but the state itself does not have a official you know, perspective on, on alcohol. Mm. Mississippi is moving very quickly to get their program. So when you look at laws, it's not just about a law that does X. It's about understanding the people that are underneath that law and how they're gonna be. But it's more important is what are the regulators thinking and what is the next evolution of another law that's gonna come? And that's why I continue to say, my biggest prediction is the, the way cannabis gets legal in the United States. Okay, this is my biggest prediction. I've been yep. saying this for a year and a half, so it's not that big of a prediction. It is a descheduling of cannabis off the schedule and legalization of the, of the financial components. Mm. That is yep. the only, there's a lot of paths, but that is the only path I see that preserves what states want. You know, states go through this rigorous process. They spend years building these laws. Yep. It just doesn't make sense. New York just passed one of the most comprehensive social equity structural, you know, forms for a state. You think they need, you know, it's so ironic that Chuck Schumer wants to pass like this federal social equity program. If you want to expunge people's, um, if you want to expunge their, their, their records, you can do that with like a one page law in the United States on the federal level. And the other thing is, it is a complete misnomer for how many people currently are in jail on the federal level. Most people are in, are in jail in, for drugs in states. Right. Right. So yeah, that's right. The, the, the problem you're trying to solve isn't as big as what you're creating by not passing something, by not getting out of the way. 
And so I, I view, I still think the only path that makes any sense, I mean, it could happen differently, but when you- This when is the most pragmatic the, path forward. Right, right, when you get to the maze, it feels to me that you can, look, you can be, if it's The Shining, you can be, you know, Jack Nicholson, or you can be the psychic kid. Yeah. The psychic kid gets out. Jack Nicholson keeps walking into to the walls. The wall, right. whether it's a social equity program that undoes what states have done, whether it's a some type of comprehensive, you know, you know new pro- program that they're proposing in the COA, a new a new agency. There's no there's no will on the American people side for new agencies at all, right? In fact, I I could see someone winning in 24 or 28 that's going to get rid of some of the federal agencies to begin with and start merging them because it's duplicative to the state level. So I just don't see there needing to be you know, a $2 billion, $3 billion budget at a cannabis, a federal cannabis agency that does what states do. Now- Yeah, it sounds good from politics, right? To say this grand thing I'm going to do. And I could see it being, but look, whether there's import and export, yes. you. But that can be covered under, we have an XM bank. We have export import rules. Eventually cannabis isn't going to be treated differently. Right now, it is the most over-regulated substance on earth. Period, full stop. They just did a study yesterday in California dispensaries. Someone did like a, a, a like a spot check. A hundred percent of the consumers who went into dispensaries had their licenses checked when they went in for underage. Hundred percent. Wasn't 99.5? So yeah. people are complying with the rules, which is why cannabis is more expensive legally. And I think when you get to the fact that cannabis operators are operating completely responsibly and following the rules and doing the packaging and yeah. sending everything out to lab tech. When you do all that, you get to a realization that just take it off the schedule, legalize the finance. You don't need to over-regulate. The, the companies who have made it to this part, they've done a responsible job of getting here. And you know that's just a myth. And, and it's also, it's, it's really frustrating when I hear that you know, MSOs are just out for money. I mean, Tell that to Kim Rivers, who's been at the at every opening. She goes there and she serves cannabis to yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Tell that to my partners, my original partners at Leafline Labs in Minnesota, with the videos that we used to get from people whose kids now are, you know, off of whatever drugs were, were holding them back with epilepsy, who are now, you know, seeing improvements in their lives. Tell that to any parent who has moved or or illegally transported cannabis back for their kids. You know, it's not just about the economic imperative. It is when it comes to stocks and stuff. But when you look at that is the tip. You can of the have both. You can have both. You can exactly. You know, yeah. people saying like, you know, it, it's just about big company. It's not, there's no the, the fact that people think of like truly Cresco Cureleaf as like these huge companies that are crushing people. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is crazy. They're not like oil and gas companies that are worth like 500 billion that can literally rot. These are companies that, at a lot of ways, are run, you know, on a hyper local basis. They just. Yeah they're just conglomerated into an earnings statement. And so I, I just think there's such a misunderstanding around that. And, and I think that's going to change when you see the human face of legalization and how it's changing. And, you know, we still have to be cognizant of youth usage and, and yep. um, impaired driving and all those things, but you can do that in the framework of descheduling and treating cannabis like a normal consumer good. You can't tell me it's not as it, 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 it better from a, a consumption standpoint than alcohol. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It's, e- it's either equal or better. So yeah, that's my yeah. view. And I think it's changing. Wow. We see that changing on, on the front end. And, th- and that's, by the way, that consumer data or that understanding of the mindset of what stigma does to consumption, 
is the is the golden key to huge returns in the future. And to be honest, that's where we're investing our time. We're trying to understand what legalization and what normalization look like on a day-to-day basis in people's lives and how that affects their views and consumption of cannabis, patient, uh, consumer, otherwise. Pr- profound stuff, Mitch. And, you know, and we've, we've discussed too, just, you know, th- this is, this is, this is that, it's that order of thinking that is just really like, you, you got to look at everything holistically, like looking over here on how this lifestyle change, what cannabis drives in different lifestyle changes. Like even, you know, even, you know, the millennial cohort, how they relax, how they enjoy themselves is much different. The trajectory going forward, as we've talked about, is much different than, you know, how someone of that age group would have partied in the 80s, right? It's very yeah. different. Yeah. So, so let me make one other prediction that just is right off that. And, and it's something I've been noodling. And, you know, look, predictions, you want to be right. But the truth is, if you're not wrong on some of your predictions, you're not really, you're not moonshotting your idea yeah. set, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to moonshot my idea set. This is a prediction that I think is going to happen in 22. I, I usually want to give myself a little leeway on, on the duration of these predictions yeah. because things it's move slow or fast. But okay, let, let me give me to the middle of 23, maybe. Because I'm thinking about this. This is, this is moonshot. Right, we'll give you six months. Yeah. Okay. So by the middle of 23, there will be an insurance company that offers an insurance plan that covers cannabis as a differentiator mm. to other insurance companies who are going to be sold to move. And people will flock to that insurance, not necessarily because they want free cannabis, but they, it, it will, there will be more of like, you know, the, the way that people used to have catastrophic risk on top of their, this will be, there will be an insurance company that is going to say, okay, this cohort, there is a cohort of 32% of people under 40 have consumed cannabis in this month. We, we can provide them data. 22% of those people are doing it from, you know, relaxation, sleep. Instead of, we know that 18% of our patients are taking Ambien. Ambien costs this much. Cannabis costs this much. Because yeah, here's yeah, one yeah. thing that we all know. Anyone who consumes cannabis, and New York did this in their law, the first thing they were trying to, trying to rectify is how much it costs out of pocket. But you know, more importantly is we know that people, cannabis is not an expensive medicine. It's not. It's very cheap, actually. 50 bucks of cannabis for a newer consumer is like enough for the month. For sleep or you know digestive issues or otherwise and so my prediction is there will be an insurance company who will try to make a splash with the younger cohort and try to you know it'll maybe it'll be like a sexy insurance company that's vc backed i don't know what it's going to be but the way a firm and pay as you go didn't exist yeah. five years ago yeah it's great idea. Uh, my prediction is an insurance company is going to say you know what it's moving this way already we're we're, we're trying to make a, a splash you know insurance isn't usually a splashy industry but someone where there's yeah, a marketing chance to gold hype it up. There. So that's my prediction by the middle of 23. That's that's wow, smart stuff. Wow. Smart stuff. Well, Mitch, thank you for always being, uh, you know, very generous with your insights. Uh, we, we love catching up with you. And so everyone, this is Mitch from Marita Capital. They are, uh, you know, these insights, man. Like Maybe you know, five years from now, you guys will actually pronounce it Merida, which is what it's pronounced as. <laughs> right, you, know, you know, maybe Merida. one day you guys will get it right, but you know, you get the roof right. We're so going to make I, you I keep coming be. on until we get it right. <laughs> you know what, Mitch? I'm going to go find an insurance company and lean on them heavy this afternoon. <laughs> well, hey, whenever, Wait, let's go find is, one. You know what happens? You put your prediction out there and then like people start to think and some guys like, you know what? I own a sleepy insurance agency. How much would it yeah. cost? Like, and then when you go through the econometrics of it, yeah. you can figure out that like if the premiums are right sized, 
insurance companies are about money. I mean, oh, they're yeah. not really about like making you healthier. They're about, hey, what's the cost benefit of any one one substance or, or modality? Sure, sure. So, yeah. That's my view. All right. Well, as always, Mitch, thank you for being on the show. Great to see you. Guys, thank hey. Mitch. Thank, thank you so much, guys. So much. guys Give Mitch a round of applause with some claps, some thumbs up. Um, <laughs> if you haven't retweeted, do that too, guys. Uh, thank you so much. Back to back, Grizzle Cannabis Con, Grizzle Psychedelics Con. Can't wait to do it up again. A special reminder of first for Grizzle and our conference series. Next Thursday, we are doing Grizzle Commodity Con. It is going to break all records of records. The lineup is beyond stacked. We're going to have details coming out on Friday. Uh, look forward for you guys to see us next week. Um, and thank you so much for joining us here. Um, and we'll do it up again. Follow us on Twitter, at Grizzle Media. We're going to tweet out the segments so you have them and as the well. speaker list and get you all set up. Exactly. Because, I mean, this is, what, what segment's doing well this year? It's energy. Yeah. And this is we're bringing on the guests that are throwing lots of money to work all around. So it's it's an easy way to understand where to invest. Exactly. So, so guys, um, follow us on, you know, follow us. We'll, we'll give you guys all the broken, you know, break apart every one of the segments, tweet them out tomorrow, day after for Psychedelics Con, Cannabis Con, then obviously uh, for Commodity Con, stay tuned. Um, and listen, thank you so much for sticking us. This this has been an, you know, I think we find, we get we get a ton, a lot of, you know, we host this full day, but the insights that we get out of this, these are the questions we want to answer, right? It's not like we have the answers to the, uh, you know, this last 40 yeah, minutes we're, with we're investors remember so we're just asking the questions we would want to know that would make us comfortable to put money into something so hopefully it's been yeah. helpful for all of you guys thank you so much um and thank you for the support of grizzle please share this with a friend tell somebody because we're back at it next thursday let's go, let's go. <laughs>